Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the C Report. I'm your host, Mr. C, and I hope you all are having a fantabulous Wednesday afternoon and evening. It's been a pretty calm day here at the old C household, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you all. Now, um, we actually had some storms rolling in today. Believe it or not. What is going on? Why, on earth is, why, am I, why am I on replay? Let me find out what's going on here. Well, as I was saying, we had some storms rolling in. <laughs> Wowzers. Okay. I think that I think that does it. I think that does it. Okay. That might that might be a result of the storms, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure. I am not sure. Okay. Yeah, no, it was getting really dark and cloudy outside. And I haven't heard any rain, but boy, it looked mighty threatening when I was uh, out on the patio earlier today. So anyways, I hope everyone's having a good Wednesday afternoon. I am as well. Welcome to another edition of the Sea Report. We're coming to you live on this Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. We have a pretty good show lined up for you guys today. Just getting myself all set up here. How's it going, Just V? How about you, Texas gal? Hope y'all are having... Yes, another great evening. All right. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Yes, uh, so <laughs> we have uh, we have a pretty, uh, pretty jam-packed show for you guys today. Uh, we'll be touching... Oh, I haven't got my banner up here yet. There we go. We'll be touching over some more evidence of election fraud. You know, there's always going to be something, it seems, coming out. But um, very, very interesting information. Uh, this one is going back into Michigan. So, you know, and, you know, it, it has been said and noted by uh, those uh, present and absent and those here and abroad uh, that, you know, my tie's a little messed up today. Sorry, uh, that, you know, a lot of this information has been available. Uh, but again, you know, this is the people working their way through the system and getting it done themselves. And I think that is perhaps uh, one of the most uh, impressive and heartening things about this entire process since these election audits started. You know, and I've been writing the audit since uh, at least Arizona started. Uh, it was before the topic was approved, right? Anyway, so we also have Joy for Trump in the house as well. Welcome, guys. Glad to see you all. Uh, what else will we be covering? We'll be covering uh, uh, the uh, government county over North Carolina getting censored. Uh, we'll have a little bit of 2A news, Second Amendment news coming out, some good news. Uh, we'll have Rand Paul introducing a bill against masks in public transportation. So, yeah, we'll have a few more positive. <laughs> we'll end on a much more positive note tonight at the Sea Report than we did yesterday. I promise you guys. Uh, indeed, I do. So anyways, all right, let's see what we got here. Now we'll go into our chat recap as we always do to start things off. Now, ladies and gentlemen, huh, 84 or five pages of chats. So <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> we're not going to go through all of it, obviously, but we'll get to some highlights. Uh, Crisco 13 was in the house. Now Crisco 13's first time I've seen Crisco in the house. Uh, Crisco did ask, where do I find the Texan please? You two were great uh, uh, for CPAC. Yes. Uh, so Texan can be found on, uh, on pills.net. Uh, you can also catch Texan on Lone Star News at uh, here at the C channel. 
Uh, we'll be doing a show this Saturday. Now, again, like I said, this Saturday, President Trump is due to speak at a rally in Phoenix, Arizona, the uh, uh, rally for election integrity. So while we typically will do, I mean, typically we just started, this is going to be like our fifth episode. Uh, while we do, uh, uh, while we do perform, perform, I don't know, while we speak about Texas news and current events and headlines, uh, if President Trump is on board on Saturday Live, then we will most likely be covering President Trump's speech over at the election integrity rally. Now, you know, I'm pretty sure some of you all have noticed, and I know I've noted uh, since President Trump was doing this the first time around, um, you know, that uh, it's like a concert. When you go see your favorite band in a concert, they have a set list and they play their songs accordingly on that set list. Sometimes they'll tweak it. Sometimes they'll throw in that golden oldie. Sometimes they'll show you something brand new that you've never heard before. Sometimes they'll do a four encore set, right? Come back four times. Well, you know, as with President Trump, uh, if you and I'm sure a lot of y'all probably noticed whenever he was doing his last rounds of, um, of rallies and public speeches prior to this whole presidential coup debacle, like, you know, uh, a lot of the talking points in his speech will be the same. That's a given. I mean, the man's gonna not going to give 50 or 51 or 54 different speeches at every venue. He's going to give you, uh, you know, his main talking points. I'm sure he has an outline. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, basically, that's what is to it. However, I'm very excited about this election integrity rally. Uh, that being mainly because the rally will be specifically about election integrity. So I expect that that speech, I could be wrong, but I would expect that that speech is going to be primarily all concerning, you know, uh, the fraud, the uh, coup, um, all of the cheating that took place in the 2020 presidential election, all of the evidence has come out. And again, to some of you people who, um, who remember things from afar, you'll probably say, well, you talked about that in 2020 in December, President Trump. Um, we heard all this evidence and information during your hearings. Why are you repeating it, President Trump? Well, it's because not all Americans were tuned in at that time. Not everyone has the memory of a mountain. Uh, and so, you know, it, it does do good to, you know, kind of uh, revisit some of these factoids that we uh, sometimes tend to forget. So I'm really looking forward to the speech on Saturday. I'm expecting it to be jam-packed full with nothing but, you know, information about the fraud and information about how they cheated and information about the evidence, because there's even been new evidence that's been coming out, um, you know, and that's simply found in, uh, you know, some of the investigatory and work and the research that some of these people are doing, like we'll be talking with. Well, like, for example, you know, yesterday with Garland Favorito, I mean, everyone knew that they um, they had multiple ballots. You know, everyone knew that they stuffed ballots, you know, several times through the same um, um, Dominion machines. However, we did not actually have the visual proof to prove it until yesterday. And we'll actually look at another clip in a little bit uh, that goes back to talking about, uh, that goes back to showing individuals how these ballots were actually the same. So that should be pretty exciting. So we'll see how it goes on Saturday. Now to answer Crisco13's question, where do I find the Texan? Uh, the Texan also hangs out um, um, over on the show. 
Uh, it was a show that he put together over at Brothers Uncensored. So, you know, you can always go check out their channel as well. I would encourage it. Um, he does shows with them on Sundays, but he will be doing a show with them on Saturday. So Texans over at Brothers Uncensored on Saturday evenings, at least for the time being, because right now uh, we are all in a state of transition. Uh, but once we get something squared away, we will let you guys know for a fact. All right. We also had Service Dog Mom in the house. Just V as well. Weaponized Truth looking up and Freedom's Not Free. Gift and a cookie. Thank you so much. Keepin' Busy says, saw you mentioned Heavy News Day, so I popped in. Yeah, yesterday it was a Heavy News Day and it was a Heavy News Show, at least, you know, spiritually speaking. The Texan was in the house. Uh, Texas Bear 77 popped in to say goodbye. App 9889 was also visiting. Shepherding Shepherd was in the house. Weaponized Truth said, I should start typing really weird stuff in the chats for him to reread the next day. <laughs> well, my friend Weaponized Truth, stick with us long enough and you'll get to learn exactly how I do these chat recaps. Blonde Blue Lady Q gifting a cookie, 123SKG in the house. Uh, app 9889 wanted to reassure me that they are male. So uh, thank you, App9889, for reassuring me of that. The Speak and Easy was also there. Blonde Blue Lady Q gifting another cookie. Uh, and then we have Keeping Busy. A change of color indicates that you do wash, Mr. C. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that was talking about my... Yeah, we won't linger on that too long. It's talking about my coats. Uh, just V, Blonde Blue Lady Q, and Just V donating cookies. Uh, they're tossing their cookies back and forth with each other. Weaponized Truth. Let's start typing really weird random stuff. So he has to read it tomorrow. <laughs> okay, I'll be absolutely honest with you guys. I got about 40 pages into the chat and I didn't see too much weird stuff. So I'm not sure that that, that was so successful, Mr. Rep Weaponized Truth, but that was really funny. Um, Blonde Blue, Blue Lady Q gifted a snickerdoodle. Uh, 123SKG gifted a can. Texas Gal was also in the house. Just V gifted a sugar cookie, followed by a white chocolate macadamia from Blonde Blue Lady Q. Um, Mr. Oh, 123SKG said, uh, show and tell, keeping busy the theater. And Service Dog Mom, I'm an artist, been one all my life. Yeah, we're just, I was, you know, spilling into some of my personal life. Just V gifted a lemon drop. Um, speaking easy saying I've made a cocktail called a lemon drop. Now, uh, I've never had a lemon drop cookie unless that's the cookie that comes with the Girl Scouts. Then in that case, I have. However, I've had many a lemon drop martinis and I do quite enjoy those whenever I have the chance to. Uh, let's see. Ooh, I've had them fancy, you know, with like a little, uh, a little, uh, uh what, what are they called? A twist of lemon, uh, peel on that. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, let's see, gift uh, another cookie. Uh, well, uh, at this point, we have Blonde Lady Q, Just V, and Joy for Trump tossing cookies at each other. <laughs> PN, <laughs> sorry, PN's in the house, Sonia, JHC, PJ, Zwierink, Seize the Day, 9-11, another peanut, oh, this is a peanut butter cookie from Just V, Deborah Erdman's in the house, Peeled by the Rabbit, Blonde Blue Lady Q, uh, talking about her dad's fruitcake cookies being quite delicious or no, her dad's favorite cookie. Um, and then uh, let's see service dog mom. Also speaking. I like art with integrity. I make my own paints and even sometimes Oak gall ink. I like book binding can do calligraphy, calligraphy, etc. Watercolors service dog. Mom sounds like um, uh, uh, an all around artist, uh, which is awesome. Um, I've never uh, gotten well. Okay. So book binding. Uh, I used to I used to bind my own chat books. Uh, 
back in the day. Uh, we're going back to 2008. Now, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's the same as real hard good book biting where you get like this, uh, you get like these, uh, you know, your book ends and, and then you like do the glue and or you see you, you sew them together. That's very, uh, very, very intricate. I used to just uh, print on paper and put a staple through it. And that was a chat book, my friend. And uh, back in the day, it was like, 2008 this was before the um what was it before the uh the uh, uh print on demand boom once the print on demand boom hit in like 2010 2011 that's basically the way i went uh but prior to that um yeah i i i published chat books and i probably i hand bound probably um close to 50 was it 50 no 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 probably about 40 40 different chat books, not my own. Of course, I used to work with other writers. I used to publish their work. So that was fun stuff back in the day. I miss it. Um, but no, I just don't do that anymore. Um, let's see what else that we have here. Just to be gifting uh, Sandy's Coco Scott was in the room. Raspberry filled thumbprints coming in and then a pecan tasties. I'm thinking that's what that is, just the S Boxer was in the house. Uh blonde, uh blonde blue ADQ, just V, Android for Trump again, toss some cookies. Thank you so much for the donations. Uh weaponized truth at this point wanted a cookie, just so you all know. <laughs> Classical chick was in the house. Derailing was also in the house. Service dog mom. Yes, he is laundering money. The artist sets the value of their work. Absolutely, you know, yeah, that's very true. Very true, service dog mom. Dolphin72 in the house. Bill Tech as well. Posse for Hope. Uh, gifting a cookie and stating Podesta Brothers and politicians use art to launder money for decades. That was a very good point. Joy for Trump and Coco Scott and Thick Cray at this point now. Tossing cookies in the Mr. C chat. Sub Pack Vet was also in the house. Uh, apparently Sub Pack Vet is very good at crowd control because everyone seemed to shut her. When he entered into the room, according to the chat that I read, not according to my opinion or viewpoint, Service Dog Mom says, I don't like most modern art, and I know modern art was pushed onto us by the deep state. Uh, that's another fun fact um, about art. Uh, you know, it seems like at a point, art was no longer being organically accepted by the masses, of course, you know, through modern, uh, I don't know, PR and uh, advertisement and corporations, uh, they were really taking control of the kind of art that we were being introduced to. Now, um, you know, I'm a fan of many types of art, right? But uh, I, I, when I really took a step back and started to understand that they were really trying to push a certain type of art onto the people in order to make, you know, to push the Overton window or make people feel a certain way or to to inspire different types and ways of thinking that were not necessarily, you know, uh, wholesome. Um, I, I kind of think back to like a filmmaker and some of you guys might know this filmmaker in the chat. Uh, some of you guys might not. I know some people that have never heard of the man, um, but that was a filmmaker I'm not talking about Andy Warhol, by the way. Uh, I mean, because, you know, you think about things like Jackson Pollock, where it's just like splatter art. And, you know, that was just, you know, putting a different kind of, I don't know, 
spin onto people's perception of artwork and stuff like that and pushing stuff like that. Of course, nowadays you have people like the Podesta is pushing like what child porn art, uh, you know, child snuff film art, just gross stuff. Uh, you have artists that just, you know, they, they paint bloody things and they paint skulls or, you know, they have things that are inspired by serial killers. Really? That's really dark, decrepit art to me. I'm not into that kind of stuff myself. Won't say that I didn't used to draw dark, shadowy figures you know, whenever I was younger and stuff like that. But, um, uh, oh, film. Uh, going back to the filmmaker, um, John Waters. How many of you guys know who John Waters was? I used to be a very big John Waters fan. Um, and, and of course, all his films were about filth and just, you know, uh, I mean, they were funny, but they were raunchy. They were they were just, you know, they, they it just really took it to another level in regards to what people might actually accept as um artwork because you know some film is art of granted nowadays a lot of film is not art like it's not art by any means uh it's just it's it's i don't know what to say i don't uh, i mean i like a good storyline you know i like a good uh you know dial uh, character based narratives i like things that make you think um, and, and any type of like, uh, you know, uh, cinema, uh, but you know, you guys know what they have nowadays just is not that it just doesn't provide that. Um, so anyways, uh, let's see here. Uh, joyful June, um, Deborah Erdman also in the house. Oh, Deborah Erdman asked if anyone had footage of a video that of that, send it to Mr. C. So, uh, I believe we were talking about Ashley Babbitt for a minute here. Posse for Hope says, think she may have been killed in the fake ambulance after her lead role. I was like, ooh, what's this all about? So actually derailing popped in a video about Ashley Babbitt, gave us the link. I had never seen this link before, guys. So um, guess what? We're going to watch it. We're going to watch it right now. Uh, so thank you, Derailing, for providing us with this uh, this video. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what this is all about. Now, this is a video about Ashley Babbitt and everything that was wrong with it. Now, if you guys remember yesterday when I was talking to you about it, I told you guys about how when I was there at um, the Capitol, um, I had run into these three young fellows who were just like, they were super excited about uh, having been inside the Capitol. And I talked to them. Uh, we were like broadcasting at the time. And um, they were talking about uh, how um, they had had a picture of the Ashley Babbitt shooting. Of course, they show me the picture and they had actually taken a picture of a picture on a guy's phone who had taken a picture of Ashley Babbitt while they were in there. So it wasn't a first-hand picture. It was an action photo. All I could see was an appendage. Couldn't tell what it was. I could see blood on the floor, uh, but uh, you know, you couldn't really see. And so then President Trump saying that she got shot in the head. So anyways, I'm really interested to see what this is about. We'll take a look at it real quick before we get into it. Hey, Doreen, Mark, how you doing over there on Twitch? Good to see you. Oh, you must be uh, throwing martinis at me for that lemon drop comment. <laughs> Glad to have you along with us, Doreen. Okay, so let's watch this real quick because um, I'm super interested to see it. Um, let's see what it says. Okay. Read me. There's some protests happening down outside the Capitol. 
The simulated riots in D.C. was a powder keg long in the making. The evidence for pre-planning and setting up a situation for a disaster is overwhelming. Paid actors. We can take that place. I want to confess that I was paid to pretend to protest today. Controllers. Security exercise and evaluation program. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, woo, woo, Paul. <laughs> Did you guys see that? Okay, wait, I didn't realize this video was 20 minutes long, so we can't play all of it. I thought it was just the Ashley Babbitt thing. Um, did they were they okay? Oh, wow, okay, I'm, I'm forwarding it, I'm forwarding it, guys, because okay, I didn't realize it was that long. Um, I'm going to go back and rewatch this for damn sure, but uh, let's just look at the Ashley Babbitt thing real quick. Okay, so I remember being there and people were like, people were like, someone was shot. This was probably about, I don't know, 3, 3.30? I don't know. Okay, so maybe 2.30? I don't know. Somewhere in that time span. Uh, well, okay, and then I'm going to give you, okay, just based on what I saw in that real quick flash of an instant, I'm going to tell you what my theory on that was. Okay, so, and it's just, it's conspiracy theory. So, okay, hold on. And, oh, and by the way, I saw some, uh, I saw some gold pill donations come in. Uh, so thank you, Just V, for the shades. And Axe Truth, for the two fleets, thank you for that, Axe Truth. I appreciate that. And welcome to the C Chat. Axe Truth is a content creator over here on the Foxhole app as well. Um I'm going to be honest with you, Axe Truth. I have lurked on your show a couple of times. And uh, aside from loving your laugh, you have a you have a very, very funny and informative show. Thank you so much for those donations. Now I'm going to have to stop lurking and get to working. Okay, so let's, let's watch this real quick. Then they all scatter. Notice this guy in the background. No one looks in the direction of the gunman. Yellow gets into place. Now that's Rufio. Right when she goes up, he turns his back. It doesn't make sense that Rufio's corralled all these people into breaking down the doors only to step to the side and turn his back. In this angle, Rufio turns to take a peek. And he touches red on the back. 
a ninja automatically puts his hands up. Also, notice when she falls back, her backpack looks fairly plump. A perfect breakaway for a fall. And you'll see yellow breaks her fall. Boom, it's his foot. And here you can see the plastic glass. Red gets out of the way. And interestingly enough, Ronnie moves down just to touch her. Just to touch her right backpack area. Just for a brief moment. While Sam comes down, he moves her, what, nine inches to... Okay, so at this point, there's no blood on her. Okay, all right. This is going more in line with my theory. Oh, wow. Okay. His left, he's about to reach under her right shoulder. At the same time he does this, what one briefly squeezes her right. There's no blood. No blood on her head for being shot in the head. Wow. I've, I, have you guys seen this? I've never seen this. Hand. Are you putting something in there? She looks like she's still conscious. When Sam picks her up, she puts her hands in front of her face. It almost appears that she opens her eyes right there. And she just puts her hands out. Boom. She's set down, and then her elbows go down. As Data and Orange move into place. Now Sam's gonna make a big hand movement. His left hand is still under her right shoulder. Try to give her a back massage and shit. Who rides this? And look how she's laying. She's still got her right leg up. It's only been 11 seconds since the weapon went off. And here you can see her curl the side of her mouth up, while a drop of blood runs out from under her nose which takes less than 16 frames here it is in real time no blood and there it is and she has her hands like she's about to give a shadow puppet performance it's just an interesting face to make no suffering it's like boom instant death she's basically using that backpack as a pillow all the while look to sam's right there's ninja and ninja's been there all along and he comes down with him it almost looks like she has a smile on her face it's almost like a mona lisa and she's holding her right hand clenched like she has something in there now you have SWAT 1 coming in, playing a scene blocker. And notice how Rufio is just clamoring over SWAT 3, because there's quite a bit of photographers in that room. Now look, frickin' Frack, he grabs him in the back, and he puts his hands up. See how he just grabs him and, and he puts his hands up? They were friends earlier, remember? And look at Barani. Okay, guys, I'm just gonna pull out my phone. And notice how he looks at his hand. He's gonna do that a couple times. And there's a reason for that. So now SWAT 1's making his hand movements, you know, the big pointing. And now he's gonna put up his weapon. And he does this little dance with his knees okay thank you thumbs up like he's pretending to talk to someone and he's like thumbs up and now data moves in he clumsily takes his book bag off now here it gets really strange with the exception of her nose at this time code we see there's no blood on her 3517 we're gonna see her pop in right there Nothing. 3521. But wait, boom. 3525. Four frames. That's four seconds. And now it looks like she's devoured some small woodland creature. Now you love how blood defies gravity. But how is that possible? Let's back it up four seconds. Now watch. Notice how Sam moves his left hand from her right backpack area. And he goes to grab her hand. And she's doing a peace sign. With her hand. Dips it in. Look at that movement. You can see him move his hand across her face. But look, she moves her wrist into his hand first. It kind of looks like she's smearing blood on her face or putting something in her mouth. But you can see the movement. And he swats her hand down. And he forcefully turns her head to the right. It's hard to see if those are her fingers or if she's holding on to something. Now Sam gets up and all he's doing is just pointing. Look, well, I guess my work here is done. They're both pointing at the same time because it makes for good pictures. You've got the drama. You've got the pointing. And all this blood is just gushing out of her mouth. Don't make no sense. <laughs> 
Do you hear that? Y'all murdered this person? It's only been 21 seconds since the weapon went off. Grabbing him, like, what are we gonna do? And notice, he has a full beard. Do people in these positions normally have full beards? Maybe? Okay. He's also double masked. Ooh, such a secret. And they just keep pointing. <laughs> SWAT 1, SWAT, SWAT 2. We can see that Yellow has changed his appearance as well. And so, Data does these big gestures. She's still got her damn hands. Like she's playing a scarecrow or something. Now this guy coming in, he's a parrot blocker. And he's saying, move, move. Data just looks up. He's like, ah! medic, scapel. All the while, Ninja's still back there. Just monitoring everything. Data is just still fumbling through his bag, not looking for anything in particular. Everybody's just kind of moving around her. An active shooter! We have an active shooter. How original. Get her down! Get her down? <laughs> she is down, bro. She's got it so cringy. Get the so they're screaming for a flashlight, and of all things, a flashlight, because the flashlight will enhance the drama of the photo, and it draws the eye down towards the light. Where's she hit? Yeah, it seems like no one really knows. And that's when she opens her mouth, like she's spitting it out. You can see she has blood on her fingers. But when do we see her ever touch that area? And Data taps her left hand and she puts it down. It, like flicks something away. Fixes something out of her hair. It's unclear if Data is contributing to the blood effects or if he's just a scene blocker. You can see SWAT 1 knees her right arm closer to her. And then she tucks it under her right butt cheek. So this is the medic. He identifies himself as the medic. Notice that wonderful earpiece he has on. And let's see the various ways he tries to save her. Medic puts his water bottle down. Spot one just grazes her. Everybody's just grazing her. Hair blocker getting up in there. And so medic pulls down the flag that's tied around her neck. And notice he only had one glove coming into the room, which is very interesting. Look, when he does this move, she opens her mouth briefly, or she says something. So he's only using one hand, because she just lets some of the blood out of her mouth. Thank God for capsules and her eyes are she's looking at things where before she was just looking straight ahead at the same time you can see them just hanging out and here comes the scene blocker cop now ninja's either just making hand movements for the camera or he's giving directions to swat one and swat one is just fumbling around with this little napkin this little toilet in a baggie notice how medic tucks this what looks to be a cell phone in between data's knees it appears data takes the cell phone away with him did you see that? What is Parrot Blocker pulling from her hair? And here he puts it into his pocket. Parrot Blocker shouts to SWAT that he's a medic, yet does nothing. You can start to see this very small pool of blood, like the size of a cookie, <laughs> right where Sam's hand was. That's when they all come out. We gotta get EMS here, guys. Now, notice Ninja just randomly puts his hands up. The cops have been next to him this whole time. And now he's putting his hands up. It's for the camera. Did you hear Jaden? Because he keeps repeating it over and over. He's saying the light faded from her eyes. They're all gaslighting because they know the audio is going to be recorded. So they're all kind of pointing and overacting and fumbling in their... Okay, that's enough of that. All right. <laughs> that's enough of that. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Okay, so, well, I can tell you, people I talked to thought she was shot in the leg. Apparently, President Trump said she was shot in the head. I, I don't know. I mean, I would assume that if she were shot in the head, there would have been a lot more blood, you know, on the outside of that. I don't know what you guys are thinking. I was... <laughs> Here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. And I'm probably totally wrong, but it's okay. Knowing that 
they had infiltrators from the left and infiltrators from the right and that most likely those infiltrators are also controlled like they're they're all infiltrated everything was infiltrated right like none of these people here were legit trump supporters none of these people here were god-fearing americans like i'm not speaking about obviously some of the people in uniform or whatever i'm sure if any of these people were legitimate cops or whatever yeah that's that was all good and dandy but i thought that maybe this Ashley Babbitt person had infiltrate. I thought, I thought maybe she was, um, you know, like maybe she was a true Patriot. Like she was what she was, uh, she was, uh, she was in the armed services, whatever had infiltrated Antifa and then, or whatever. And then in, and then came out as a Trump supporter. And then they found out that she was actually a good guy and not a bad guy. And so then they set her up to get shot and then she got shot and died. But after seeing all of that, <laughs> after seeing all of that, I don't know what to think anymore. So, you know what? I don't know. Some people say she's not even dead. You know, some people say, yeah, like, you know, some of the people were pointing out in the chat, like, you know, that was, uh, that was her leading role. Uh, uh, seeing that it did not look like she, she, it didn't, it looked staged. That looked staged. I mean, there would have been blood somewhere else if she'd been shot in the head. Uh, I mean, first of all, if she say she was in the, the window like that, she would have gotten shot on the top of the head, maybe, or shot right here, or shot on the side. There would have been blood up around here. There was no blood. It was coming out of her nose and her mouth. I don't know, guys. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that video, derailing. I appreciate it. <laughs> You have just confounded me for the rest of this episode. Now I cannot work. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay, so let's get back into some of yesterday's chat recap before we get too long. Um, let's see here. Uh, what, do we, what do we got? 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 Speak and easy. Space Force is for cyberspace, isn't it? He asks. Um, and Weaponized Truth says outer cyberspace, LOL. Laugh out loud. I thought that was pretty interesting now. Uh, and I think Speak and Easy made another comment about that a little bit later on. Uh, he said, uh, Speak and Easy said in response to a comment from Sonia, uh, well, I went onto their website and the positions that they were recruiting for was cybersecurity stuff. So that's an interesting thought. You know, could Space Force be indeed for cyberspace? Now, based on what we saw in that Millie Weaver report, where they were talking about the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, I think is what it's called, that was started at the end of Dwight Eisenhower's presidency. Um, that I mean, that very well could be the, the case for cyberspace and for outer space. They launched satellites further back out of orbit uh, that would basically surround any of the deep state satellites so they could get a communications lock on what the deep state was doing as well as what's going on on you know planet earth uh and that does also have to do with you know cyberspace i guess in, in its own way so i think it could be for both that that's quite interesting i think they also commented yesterday that uh they stop uh they stop enlisting at the age of 35 which means i will never get to join cyberspace but I will humble I will humbly go be a janitor for them if they have the job available. Okay, so let's see here. What else do we got going on? We had Big Willie in the house yesterday as well. Where we go on, we go all indeed, my friend. Stay strong. 
Uh, who else do we have? Uh, let's see. Shepherding. Sh oh, so uh, it's, uh, Shepherding Shepherd, as well as looking up. You guys are dropping some mad links in there. Thank you guys for that. I didn't get to go see all of them. Uh, looking up was drop. Pardon me. Was dropping a lot of um, links that had to do with the United Nations. Always good information to have to see what they're up to. Disco Daphne was in the house. Classical Chick was also in the house. She said, I forgot to um, I forgot to at you above for tomorrow today. <laughs> it was good to have you in the chat, Classical Chick. I'm sure all the friends enjoyed hanging out with you. Uh, Dragon Energy 45 was in the house. Oh, we got into a big fruitcake discussion here and also a sausage cake discussion. But we'll go ahead and forego that because we're already running out on time. Um, oh, except for this one from PJ Zwiernik. No, not mine. It's good soaked in rum for a month. Mmm, I would definitely try that, my friend. Uh, let's see. Uh, Blonde Lady Q uh, gifting a shrimp. <laughs> Just kidding. It was a cookie. Service dog mom, homemade fruit cake. Oh, we're just talking about. We're still talking about fruit cake. Foxy was in the house. Trumpy bear twenty twenty was in the house. Uh, Shepherding shepherd says brown shirts being hired for vax enforcement. I would say so. I would say so myself. I, I would call them a brown shirt. Uh, they just need their. They just need their gun, right? They just need their sidearm, right there, right? Okay. Uh, weaponized truth. A sausage cake party sounds yummy. I would have to agree with that. Uh, speak an easy. No worries. I was thinking of joining Space Force, but they cut off at the age thirty-five. That was it. That was it. Uh, Posse for hope. Gifting another cookie uh, for the people of Cuba. Oh, you know that's true. We're not. For, oh, the cookie was not for the people of Cuba. I'm sorry. Pray for the people of Cuba is what Posse for Hope was saying. That's not funny. I'm sorry. It's not. But I thought she said the cookie was for the people of Cuba. Anyways, yes, indeed. And you know, uh, that is um, the truer words were never spoken, my friend. Always in Texas. How late am I? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you are most definitely never late. The hawk popped in for a squawk. We had another gifted cookie from uh, from Posse for Hope. Uh, PN was also in the house. Sergeant Sparky was in the house. Sergeant Sparky had the jump on this one. Uh, the the uh, paint, the mural of George Floyd was uh, struck by lightning over there in Toledo, Ohio. So very good, Sparky. I didn't hear about that story until today. Sherry Pittsburgh was in the house. Uh, Joyful June as well. Jukani gifting a cookie. Thank you for joining us. We also had uh, Gary Flesner. It me. ITB Miang. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, S Boxer as well. And uh, the list goes on. And David Sloan was in the house. Sean Joe gifted a cookie with many thanks. It was a great, uh, great fun. One, two, three, SKG with a Choco Flan cookie. I've never had Choco Flan cookie, but I would definitely try it. Um, and let's see. And, and the chat goes on and on and on, ladies and gentlemen. It was a fun a, a day yesterday. I can tell you guys were enjoying yourselves. So, uh, you know, you know, here, here for everyone in the C chat today. Okay, so now let me get into today because it's already, oh boy, we're already pushing an hour, you guys. So uh, just real quick, we have just to be in the house, Texas gal, joy for Trump. Uh, let's see who else do we got hanging out. Pilled by the rabbit. How you doing? Pilled by the rabbit. Let's speak uneasy. Good evening, sir. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us. Gary Flesners also join us. Service dog mom, Skeeter Burke. Howdy, Skeeter Burke. How are you doing today? Hope your Wednesday's going well. One, two, three, SKG, as well as uh, Sherry Pittsburgh. Howdy, howdy. Tam Gural is hanging out. And uh, the chat is going down. And uh, thank you all for the uh, uh, gold pills that have come my way, Posse for Hope, uh, popping in that cookie. The meme replacing the mural for Priceless. Oh, yeah. 
Yes, indeed. And Posse for Hope with another cookie. Uh, and uh, Joy for Trump with a can. Uh, thank you for the gold pill donations. Again, thank you, Axe Truth and Just for V. Just for V. Just V. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into today's uh, report. And we'll uh, see what we can't uh, do with the information that we get. Now, we had a couple of uh, President Trump um, statements for today. Actually, he did. Uh, he pushed a couple of books today. It was I think it was Jesse Waters was one of them. And I don't remember the other book that he was recommending, uh, but it was Jesse Waters and someone else. However, he had uh, two other statements that um, I was aware of, uh, unless he pub he's published anything since we've gone live. Um, but uh, one said, the press is corrupt in this country. They refuse to report on the many cases of election irregularities and outright fraud. They are an embarrassment to our country. And of course, we know he's talking about the mainstream, lamestream, fake news media, the legacy media, the loser media. That's who he's addressing there. Um, and yes, indeed. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, with all of the information that's coming out, you'd think it would be kind of reasonable that some of these people would actually cover it. Now, I heard, I haven't seen, but I done told that, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson was actually supposed to start talking about election fraud tonight. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I, I might look for a clip or two uh, and see what he had to say. Um, but I, he hadn't really talked about election fraud right prior to tonight. So, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't watch him anymore. Uh, but, you know, every now and then when he's got a good clip to share, you know, some some good stuff, then I will bring him up, you know, kind of went over that whole uh, kind of skipped over that whole NSA spying thing. I've heard a whole bunch of things. And of course, I'm, I'm like, hmm, I wonder who your source was, uh, Tucker. Uh, uh, could it start it with a T and end with an E? I don't know. It might have. All right. So let's see what else we got here for you from President Trump. The news coming out of Georgia is beyond incredible. The hand recount in Fulton County was a total fraud. They stuffed the ballot box and got caught. We will lose our country if this is allowed to stand. According to the just-released report from Garland Favorito and the highly respected voter GA in Fulton County, the hand recount was wrong by 60%. 100,000 tally sheets for ballots were missing. They duplicated thousands of extra votes for Joe Biden and fabricated votes of 100 to 0 for Biden many times. Ballot batch sheets fraudulently showed multiple unanimous 100 to 0 votes for Biden, as well as 150 to 0 and 200 to 0. Are we now in a third world country? What else will they do? What else will they find once the full forensic audit takes place? Question mark. This means Brad Raffensperger certified the 2020 presidential election scam, despite it being riddled with massive errors and provable fraud. This proves what Susie Voiles, who worked Fulton County elections for decades, suspected that fraudulent photocopied ballots were counted for Biden. This is on top of the 35,000 illegal votes recently found in Georgia and over 100,000 obsolete voter registrations, plus thousands of people dead, deleted after the election. Will the Attorney General Chris Carr finally act? Ooh, we're pulling out Chris Carr now. Has the Governor Brian Kemp, how, how has the Governor Brian Kemp allowed this to happen? This is corruption at the highest level. 
Our nation is at stake. Yes, sir, Mr. President. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, what have I been saying? I've been saying, I hope Georgia does not even have a forensic audit. I hope Georgia just decertifies the mother. Like they're just like, look, all of this evidence is out here. They might've talked about it back in December at the hearing in Atlanta, and we might've ignored it. Uh, like Garland Favorito said, they've had all of this evidence for at least six months. So we don't know why the heck they're finally doing something about it now. Oh, wait, they never did anything about it. Isn't that so? Uh, they've just been caught with their pants down, ladies and gentlemen. That's about anything and everything that's going on with the state of Georgia. So, okay. They've just got to decertify. They just have to decertify. It's going to happen like that, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have the Arizona audit come out. You're going to have them decertify Georgia. That's two. Um, and there's no telling how long the Pennsylvania audit's going to take once they get everything going underway. So hopefully they'll just decertify Michigan. Because after all, um, you know, Michigan's got some stuff too. We'll be talking about that in a minute. Now, it seems that with all of these legal battles going on and back and forth, in Georgia and Michigan, the evidence is just going to surface through litigation. And then through that evidence in litigation, they're going to have to, I would think they would have to decertify. I don't think that there's any reason why they should have an audit in Georgia with all of this real proof evidence coming out. But then again, Garland Favorito, you know, he's that, he's that, uh, he's that, uh, what was it? He's that little engine that could Garland over there in the state of Georgia. He is the tortoise that wins and beats the hare, uh, you know, soft-spoken gentleman. Uh, he's like, this is a good thing, you know, so we'll see what next steps happen in Georgia, but if they can actually submit all of this evidence before a grand jury, which is what he was looking to do, a grand jury, right? Hopefully they can just decertify it and, and, you know, there won't be a need for an audit election because we already have the proof. Now, to go ahead and skip into that, let's talk a little bit about Georgia. Yeah, we're really going to get into, ladies and gentlemen. So the first thing that I'm going to show you guys from the state of Georgia is exactly what President Trump mentioned in that last part of his, uh, that last part of his statement, because uh, this was something new. That had, well, no, 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 I take it back. That was not nothing new. It was not nothing new. We covered this yesterday, but uh, this was um, another video that I wanted to share about the multi, uh, the multiple ballots, the copied ballots. Remember when he, uh, when we were talking about Susie Voiles, she was the, uh, the election, um, the election, uh, county election manager for like 20 years. Like she'd done, been working the polls in Fulton County. And, uh, um, you know, she said, you know, in 20 years, I've never seen anything like this. Like this is totally irregular. Like, you know, and again, this is all about the integrity of our election system. We don't have to get partisan. We don't have to tell anyone who we're voting for, who we're rooting for. Uh, but we know in fact that there was fraud in the 2020 election. So, um, this is, uh, it's just, it's, it's encouraging to see the people dig for this evidence and then present it to us. So we saw we saw one ballot yesterday with Garland Favorito. This is a real short video that shows a few other examples of what Susie Voiles was talking about whenever she was saying these ballots look like they were copied. All right, so what we're looking at here are, um, are two different batches of votes. Scanner 5162, batch 234, Image 59 and scanner 5162, batch 235, image 19. And what you can see is that, like on this vote right here, we've got 
this exact same little tail that shows on both of them. And if you don't, and if you think that maybe that's, you know, if you think that maybe that's just a, you know, a mistake or, or, or you know, or just a coincidence, here's the next one that shows, you can see Republican is written there, Republicans written there. This is um, ballot 61. This is ballot number two. And then each one of them even has this little dot in the Fannie Willis. Okay. And do you have more of those? We have the entire batch. I've got, there's 62 images in here total, and I didn't even get a chance to go through all of them. But these are the most obvious ones, which clear that it's, it's the same. This one's got the little tail on the side. And so what happened, so do you know the numbers of these total batches, like? I don't remember what the, to what the totals were when the batches, I, I don't think they were, they weren't disparate, they were fairly close, but the, the simple fact that they So occurred. if you see that little bubble right there, this is a one image, here's another image, exactly see, the exact same, and the batch number, was it 5162? Also scanner 5162. Okay, scanner. Batch, batch number 235, image number 92, matches of the same scanner 5162, batch 234, image 33. So there you have it. Duplicate ballots. The entire batch is scanned several times. That is, uh, I mean, you can't get much clearer than that, ladies and gentlemen. Like, that's pretty obvious stuff right there. Um, so I don't know. That, uh, I mean, there you go, America. Are you happy? <laughs> Are you happy? You know, we had to get Garland Favorito to go get up off of his nice recliner, get out into the heat of Georgia, go over to the, 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 uh, the, count, the county um, courthouse, file all these reports, talk with lawyers, you know, go back and forth between judges. Would you guys just leave Garland alone? No, just kidding. Um, okay, so good work there. That was a video from Heather Mullen. She is a, uh, a, a she's a reporter. Um, she was actually, we've uh, showed you some of her videos before um, over in New Hampshire, actually. She was covering the New Hampshire fraud it over there in New Hampshire, in Wyndham County, whenever they were doing that thing a few whiles ago. But yeah, so that was that was good. That was real interesting stuff. We had some more stuff um, actually. Let me see coming out now. This one, uh, this was a report from the Federalist, believe it or not. I actually had some more information. Now, in addition to these, these were of course the ballots that were uh, that were fake. Oh well, we got Vernon Jones coming up here in a minute. Uh, we, you know, Vernon's got he's Vernon's always got some good stuff to say, right? So, anyways. Uh, let me see here what we have with the Federalist. Uh, there was uh, a, an additional evidence in, in addition to what uh, Garland Favorito was presenting for us. Now, this had uh, the article had to say under Georgia law, residents must vote in the county. So this had to do with uh, people voting in their proper precincts. OK, so this was actually eye opening also. And um, President Trump uh, did not mention this in particular. Um, he did. Oh, Okay, so real quick, guys, because my head's going like, woo, after watching the Ashley Babbitt video. With this this thing with the 35,000 illegal votes, right, that he had mentioned it. I meant to, I meant to say this a, a second ago. Uh, on top of the 35,000 illegal votes recently found in Georgia, 
that's what uh, President Trump had said. Do you guys remember what the margin was? How many votes that uh, President-elect Biden won by? It was like eleven to twelve thousand votes. With thirty-five thousand illegal votes, what do you think that means? Okay, well, this is where we get into that. Okay. So this is the 35,000 illegal votes that President Trump was talking about because we talked about Garland Favorito and the multiple, uh, the uh, duplicate ballots, right? Now, the Federalist is the one that had the story on the 35,000 illegal votes. Now, already, guys, Biden won by like 11,000, 12,000 votes. With this 35,000 illegal votes, they should just decertify. They should just decertify. They should just decertify. Maybe they, I don't know. They just should just decertify. Okay. So it says under Georgia law, residents must vote in the county in which they reside unless they change their residence within 30 days of the election. As Jake Evans, a well-known Atlanta election lawyer said, outside of the 30-day grace period, if people vote in a county in which they no longer reside, their vote in that county would be illegal. So they found uh, they he basically what he did, this Jake Evans guy did, um, he got with this other dude, Mark Davis. Um, and Mark Davis was a president of a company called Data Productions Incorporated. And they went ahead and they inspected the addresses, the residences. And um, uh, it, he went to something called the National Change of Address Database. Okay. And in that database, he was able to track down all of the voters and all of their addresses and to see when they had actually changed their address or if they had changed their address, all of that stuff, right? So he said, uh, so the article said that um, after excluding the moves with effective dates that were within 30 days of the general election and by using data available from the Georgia Secretary of State's office, Davis identified nearly 35,000 Georgia voters who indicated they had moved from Georgia, from one Georgia county to another, but then voted in the 2020 general election in both of those counties. Like they voted in both of the counties, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he said when Davis ran the data, he found that of the approximately 35,000 Georgians who indicated they had moved from one county to another more than 30 days before the general election as of May more than 10,000 of those had updated their voter registration information. So the, the, the caveat being that if they updated their voter registration data, that means that those were permanent moves. They weren't temporary moves because they can, there's a certain allowance for a move if it's temporary, but these were permanent moves. Over 10,000 of those 35,000 had moved. So one third of them definitely voted twice you know, and they were uh, they were in a new permanent location. So something smells a little rotten in the state of Georgia, if you ask me. And now we have Sir Vernon Jones boop, boop, on the screen. Now, as of this point, Vernon Jones has called for uh, governor, would-be governor, Brian Kemp to resign. Uh, he's uh, basically calling him out for all of this. Jones additionally called uh, for the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to look into reports of tens of thousands of duplicate ballots that are missing the chain of custody documents. 
chain of custody is still missing and several numerous counties over there in the state of Georgia. They've got to get a hold of that. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, Vernon Jones is quoted to have said today, in addition to Brian Kemp, uh, a resignation, I am calling for an immediate GBI investigation into reports of duplicate ballot counts and thousands of missing chain of custody documents, our governor had a duty to do his due diligence before certifying our election, and he failed. So that's just a quick recap of what's going on over there. There's always something new and something blue developing in the world of these uh, um, election audits, news information. So that I thought was very interesting. A good tie-in to what we were talking about yesterday with Garland Barberito. And now we have here, as per Trump's statement and as per the facts of the matter, we have all of these issues coming up. So again, I think the rally on Saturday should be pretty good. I think he's, I think he's just going to talk all about this stuff. You know, I don't know. Uh, I think it might be hard for him to say, I think it'll be hard for him not to say, I told you so, because I probably would. I'd probably be like, I told you so. Let's talk a little bit about Michigan. Okay, so we have some more information. Again, this is uh, information provided for the people as updated here on the C-Report about some voter fraud taking place over in Michigan. More uncovered through the... Um, through the uh, um, uh, efforts of individuals and people working on the ground there to see that this election fraud does not go unchecked. Now, according to, um, um, I guess, the uh, Michigan's uh, uh, election laws, uh, Michigan's Secretary of State is required to keep voting machine passwords in escrow. Um, but according to Secretary of Snake's Jocelyn Benson, they didn't have it. The Dominion, she said, Dominion is the one who had access to the passcodes. So that, I mean, red alert, red alert, like here we have the same situation again, just like we saw in Maricopa County, where Maricopa County could not provide the passcodes to access any of the voter information and election information that ran in 2020. So here you have to say, well, it seems like Dominion is probably the only one who's running elections in this country. And I actually found it quite stunning that this situation was mirrored in Michigan, as in Arizona, that uh, no one seems to have these passcodes over there up in their own jurisdiction. Um, it says that she's required to keep the passcodes for Michigan's voting machines. But Jocelyn Benson admitted in a recent interrogatory in Antrim County case that she did not have access to those passcodes. Yeah, I think we covered that actually. Um, according to Benson, only Dominion voting machines have access to the codes, even though she's supposed to keep it in escrow and to perform regular and frequent testing. Now there's this attorney by the name of, um, let me see, her name is uh, da -dum -da -dum -da -dum, Lambert, Stephanie Lambert. Uh, she's the one who's breaking a lot of this information now, apparently she, um, well, she, in an interview, she broke down a lot of the things that were going on. She did say what the evidence shows and what the clerks have told us is that they, election source, are essentially fun, uh, running the entire election. Now, election source 
is actually a contractor that was hired by Dominion to handle a lot of these things over in Michigan, in all counties, apparently, not just in Antrim County. Now, in Antrim County, what we had going on there basically um, uh, was just uh, uh, moved forward because you had one uh, citizen of Ant Antrim County, that was uh, William Bailey, who hired Matt Matthew DiPerno to go ahead and get the ball moving on election fraud over there. But this, my friends, is taking in the scope of the entire county. Like, I mean, the entire state. I apologize. Not the entire county, but the entire state. So um, let's see. It says here that Miss Lambert also dropped another bombshell. She said there was a person by the name of Jennifer Bowers that was an executive at Dominion until 2019. She is now in charge of the EAC. We covered that, though. She's now in charge of EAC of determining um, who should be certified and which company should come and check elections. So, yes, you guys remember when we were talking about the EAC? We are talking about how uh, they um, are underfunded and they are understaffed, right? And uh, it seems like it should have been that way, according to the deep state. Like, that's what they wanted. So this way, no, nothing would be going towards actual election security. And that they had a former Dominion employee who had worked with Dominion for 10 years, who is now their chief information officer. So that, that's been covered. That's not a huge bombshell to drop. But <clears throat> in any event... Uh, they're also talking about some of the equipment that is over there that was being used during the elections. Because now we have Jocelyn Benson, of course, saying that, you know, uh, you can't hand over your equipment and also uh, that, that it'll no longer be good and uh, they'll have to replace it, basically. But uh, um, according to uh, this uh, Stephanie Lambert, she was saying that uh, the election source, the people who were hired by Dominion to handle their dirty work over during the uh, Michigan elections, want to go ahead and get into the county clerk's office and get their hands on that equipment and take a battery out of it, which would effectively erase all the data. So uh, let's go ahead and we'll, we have some of that... Uh, interview. Now, this is between Stephanie Lambert, the attorney, James Hoft over at the Gateway Pundit, and also uh, who's this Pat, Patty McMurray. Now, Patty McMurray, she's from 100% Fed Up, which is a conservative news outlet over there up in Michigan. We saw Patty McMurray whenever we were watching um, Christina Caramo go and deliver all of those affidavits over to the secretary of snakes office. Uh, she, you know, they couldn't seem to get them to her. They didn't want to sign up for him. So uh, Patty McMurray, she's been on the ground there in Michigan, covering a lot of this stuff. Of course, Jim Hoff, uh, Jim and James Hoff over at the gateway pundit, they've been covering all of this election news from the jump. And then Stephanie Lambert Esquire, she's now throwing her hat into the ring. We're not going to play all of the interview, but just so you guys can get kind of a taste of what she was talking about and what was discussed in this article, uh, we'll play some of that for you guys now. Stephanie um, introduced herself and kind of tell us how she's um, how she kind of got involved in the election fraud in Michigan. Thank you for having me on. Um, Patty, I am a former prosecutor. I was a prosecutor for over 10 years. Um, I have experience with fraud. I've worked as a mostly criminal defense attorney in private practice for the past few years. And I got involved with the election fraud. I was given an affidavit actually to send to the White House uh, shortly after the election. And I have a Gmail account and I tried to send it to the White House and I titled the subject affidavit election fraud. 
And uh, to my surprise, it wouldn't go through to the White House. I thought that I had actually typed in the email address wrong. I, I checked it, and, and sure enough, I typed it incorrectly. So my Gmail account would not allow this affidavit to go through to the White House. So I reached out to the Sidney Powell team um, and to the Rudy Giuliani team to provide this evidence that I had been asked to provide to the team. And uh, from there, I, I worked as uh, I was the local attorney on the Michigan City Powell case. And I had the opportunity to work with a number of teams and attorneys on election fraud issues from that time um, and work with investigators and experts um, obtaining evidence here in Michigan. Excellent. Excellent. So, so recently, uh, Stephanie, you came into possession of some information that I think a lot of our, our followers might be interested in hearing about because we, we continue to hear about how there was no election fraud. I mean, Ed McBroom, Senator Ed McBroom's report pointed out that there was no no chance that there was any widespread voter fraud in the state of Michigan. But um, Stephanie, you, you've kind of come upon some evidence that proves otherwise. Can you kind of share some of that evidence with us? Sure. I've been working closely with Matt DiPerno and other attorneys and other experts, like I said, and uh, we've obtained a lot of evidence. Uh, in fact, there's going to be a lawsuit filed in the very near future against election source, which is a contractor to Dominion. Uh, Matt DiPerno sent a cease and desist letter to election source today um, because there was a letter uh, that was sent out by election source to all of the clerks in Michigan stating that they're coming to do preventative updates regarding removing a battery in some of the election equipment, which is problematic because this would erase data. Um, that's one piece of, of what's happening with election source. Um, we've, we've obtained evidence from elected officials actually in Michigan, clerks that have said in affidavits uh, that essentially they find it very concerning and, and I'll quote from some of the affidavits here. Um, one clerk said, this is an elected official. It's, uh, and she's speaking to the vendor control. It's frightening because I don't feel that there's anything that I can do within my capacity to ensure the election is not uh, subverted by the vendor, given their access to the programs. Uh, another affidavit from a, an elected official uh, regarding the vendors said, I know these computers have hidden information which can subvert the intention of the voter and cause the votes to switch or otherwise be manipulated in a number of scary ways. Uh, so what our evidence has uh, uh, revealed essentially is that in Michigan, we do have evidence and proof that the election was subverted um, remotely. We have security breaches. I know that um, an expert by the name of J. Alex Halderman has repeatedly said in a report that there were no security breaches, and that is just false. Our experts have found security breaches within the Michigan election. Um, ben Cotton is a expert, and I, I'd like to... Uh, read about his uh, qualifications here. He's been working for over 25 years and he found two security breaches in Antrim, Michigan. Um, as you might recall, Antrim, Michigan had four counts total, including the actual election account. Uh, count. Um, none of them were the same, which is why there had to be multiple counts. Uh, and the last hand count did not go down ballot. Um, experts have looked down ballot at the election and they have found that down ballot the election was subverted as well. 
Um, ben is uh, the founder of a firm named Cypher. He's 25 years of experience. He's an, an expert in computer forensics. And he analyzed the forensic images that uh, Matt DiPerno was successful in obtaining in his lawsuit. Uh, and he found two security breaches that Halderman uh, was incorrect in his report. He found a security breach on November 5th and uh, November 17th. Uh, we've also obtained evidence um, that is really interesting, showing <clears throat> that right after the election, election source sent the clerk in Antrim County an email, essentially dictating to her the version of events as to what happened in her election. Um, that version of events was then uh, essentially memorialized in Halderman's report that we have found is false and our experts uh, disagree with. Okay, I'm sorry, Steph, I don't mean to interrupt, but can you explain that a little bit more in detail to the people that are watching what you mean by that? Sure. The Secretary of State has an expert named J. Alex Halderman. Okay. Uh, he issued a report, and in his report, he said there was no security breach in the 2020 election, and that is false. The experts have looked at the data, the forensic data, and they have found two security breaches in this election. They have also determined that the election was subverted. When was that report released, Stephanie, from J. Alex Halderman? Was that earlier in the in, before uh, the new year? That's correct. It was earlier, and the experts uh, that had to analyze the data um, went piece by piece through the data, and it took them a while to do this. It's very time-consuming and tedious to do it properly. And, in fact, they're still looking at the evidence to determine what else they can find. Um, but... We find it very ironic that Halderman's version of events seems to just match exactly what election source, the subcontractor to Minion, said happened in the election on November 4th in the email. Who, who hired Halderman? Was that the state or Halderman, Secretary of State? Yes, Halderman is the Secretary of State's expert. Um, he is the co-chair of the Michigan Election Security Advise Advisory Commission. Um, and he, in fact, um, has guided the Secretary of State in a recommendation um, to test the source code frequently and at a minimum annually. And he released that report in October of 2020. Um, in the Antrim County discovery, the Secretary of State disclosed that she did not keep the source code in escrow. Um, there are rules that she's supposed to follow if she's to keep it in escrow where she doesn't release it or share it. Um, but she is supposed to, according to her own expert, test it frequently and regularly. She disclosed in the discovery response, the interrogatories, that she didn't have it. That in fact, it was Dominion that had the source code. And that's problematic because we need to know what source code is used in an election. Right. So if the source, right. So if the source code was ABC, she needs to have on file that ABC was used so we can look at a subverted election and, and see we can't rely on Dominion to tell us the truth about which source code was used. You, you know, Stephanie, you probably heard this, but uh, we, we saw a similar situation in Arizona in Maricopa County where they uh, we believe they were not holding on to this source code either. It was Dominion who was holding on to this. So it's it's really interesting now that we're hearing the same thing out of Michigan. Um, so it, it, it makes you wonder how many other places this was this was going on at. Well, that's a, that's a very important point. 
Um, in Arizona, it's my understanding that the administrative password has not yet been provided to the experts. That is key to the experts being able to analyze everything that they've analyzed in our 20 published expert reports. So that was key to them being able to conduct their thorough evaluation. So we're hoping that Arizona um, complies with the subpoena that has been issued and they're given the, the administrative passport so that they can take a look at everything that they've looked at in Michigan and Georgia. And, and what is the passcode used for, Stephanie? Uh, the, the passcode gives access, and um, it, this might surprise you, but the passcode used in Antrim County, Michigan, uh, was one two three four five six, right? Huh. So, wow, <laughs> that's obviously that's, that's, that's original. <laughs> that's detailed in the reports as well as, as a security concern. Uh, yeah, absolutely incredible. So, but but Secretary of State Benson did not have access to those to that code, only Dominion had access to the code. Is that correct? Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Uh, okay. She's supposed to keep it in escrow and according to her own expert, do frequent and regular testing. Um, what, what also is interesting about her expert, we found an old report that had been removed from the internet from 2006 that he had written. Um, and in that report, he's talking about Diebold, um, which used to be Dominion, uh, and he has two ways that he describes that an election can be stolen. Um, he talks about how the one way you can flip the votes and the second way in certain jurisdictions where you know the population, you can cause the machines to crash or the ballots to reverse from the machine to cause them to go into the adjudication bucket. Um, <clears throat> that happened. We have affidavits from all different jurisdictions, not only Michigan, but across this country where the machines crashed or the ballots reversed, or the votes flipped. Uh, so we have an expert report that was just written, it hasn't been publicly released at this point, saying that the hardware and the intellectual property that's evaluated in this old 2006 Halderman report exists today, and this is what happened in 2021, I'm sorry, in the 2020 election. Um, th this voter fraud has gone on for a while, uh, even Kamala Harris has said in 2018 that she witnessed election machines being hacked before her own eyes. So this is a problem we really need to address in our country. Absolutely. That's really amazing that this adjudication process, we've written about that at the Gateway Pundit, but uh, we've seen that at very some very high numbers in places like Maricopa County and in Nevada, which I'm sure you're aware of where they were putting a, a, a huge amount of percentage of the ballots were going into adjudication, meaning uh, it's, it's a free-for-all. It, it, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds just so shady when they, can you explain that maybe a little bit more when it goes to adjudication, what happens to those ballots? Sure. Well, it depends on the jurisdiction. Um, some of the, the tabulator or scanner machines, they have a bucket that the ballots go into and if it, is it a physical bucket, you mean? Or is it like, yes, uh, it's a physical bucket. And some of them we've discovered actually have two spots within the bucket. Um, one is an adjudicated spot and one is like the, the bigger can, if you will. Um, but what's interesting about that, I, I'd like to talk about one specific thing that our experts found with reversing ballots that I was in just... In Michigan only. Not in Michigan only. It was oh. consistent. Um, so, so this was really interesting. Um, I was really surprised when they showed this to me. They were describing how they found on the EMS, which is the election management system, the computer used by the county clerk, 
um, for the election that's provided um, through the election vendor. Um, a file that showed these outer markers, which are like check marks along the, the like boxes along the side of the ballot. Um, they found that the decimals were off on, on the ballot on, on one of the boxes. And so they took a look at the notes and saw that one was a bigger rectangle according to the configuration in the computer file. And so they tested it and they looked at the ballot and they, they tested a ballot with the same outer marker it, it described in, in the election management system. And sure enough, when you voted for a certain candidate, it caused the ballot to reverse. And so when I, I heard this for the first time, I thought it was bizarre. And then I was looking through my files and I had an affidavit from a clerk in uh, Pennsylvania that described the same thing. She said that she was looking at the side of her ballots. She couldn't believe that none of the ballots would be accepted by the machine. So she called her vendor in Pennsylvania and she said, there's something wrong with the side of this ballot. Uh, you know, they, they were all printed that way. And they delivered new ballots to her that were sealed that the machines then accepted. Uh, so this is a consistent pattern that we've seen, uh, you know, through multiple states. Can, can you answer me why, you know, you, you were working with uh, Matthew DiPerno. And um, how, how did you get then into looking at different states if you're working with Antrim County in Michigan? I've, I've been contacted by a number of different sources and people, confidential informants. Uh, and they've asked me, I'm a former prosecutor and an attorney, to take a look at evidence, and I've, I've looked at it and evaluated it. Very wow. interesting. All right, and we'll go ahead and pause there. Now, this is actually an hour-long interview, so that's why we're not going to play all of it, but um, more interesting details come out uh, and the rest of it. Now, that's why at the head of this, you know, she's talking about uh, everything that's going on and the different evidence that they found is very, very interesting um, interview. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's crazy, guys. And so, you know, she actually been involved with uh, involved with what was going on with the Trump team and stuff like that kind of early on. But they found that new evidence. And then, you know, they were talking about how, again, Jocelyn Benson, just like in Arizona, doesn't have the pass keys, doesn't have the pass codes. And then they were talking they're talking about those batteries as well a little bit later on when they start getting really like forging deeper into some of the other stuff that they had found. But they're talking about Matthew DiPerno here. Now we've talked about Matthew DiPerno on the show before. Of course, he is a constitutional lawyer that was fighting in Antrim County. And remember Matthew DiPerno did say, he did say that they were going to appeal the judge's uh, choice to kind of dismiss the case without him even looking at the evidence. But he had a team working behind him. So clearly Stephanie Lambert is one of those individuals who's been working with Matthew DiPerno and working on getting all of these cases um, um, and all of this fraud um, uh, evidence uh, brought forth and actually being listened to, not just dismissed by an Obama appointed a, a judge, you know? So now the letter that I have here on the screen from you guys is actually from Matthew DiPerno. And this is in regards to, uh, those um, batteries that um, basically what happens here is election source wants to come in and they want to go to the county clerks and they want to remove these batteries saying that it's just, you know, it's, it's just, they said it was a preemptive, a preemptive, um, what do you call it? They said it was a preemptive, like a, a, um, 
a fix. Like they were just going to go in there and, and, and work on it real quick. It, it was like, well, what, why would you be doing this anyways? You know, like, why would, why would you be coming in to take out the batteries? And, and again, the EAC, I guess I should kind of pull this back while I'm talking, right? The EAC, uh, the EAC, the election source had said, and she talked like you, if you guys were listening about the whole election source thing that they're coming into the counties, they're basically running this whole thing. Um, and the election source basically uh, uh, said that they were going to come in here and remove the batteries because they were not needed, you know? And so, you know, like, since they don't need the batteries, we're going to just come, come up here and do a preemptive maintenance was the word that the phrase that they'd use, a preemptive maintenance. Now, of course, if election source is, you know, subcontracted by Dominion and Dominion's being run through Secretary Snake's office, Jocelyn Benson, she has to know that they're going to be going and visiting every county in Michigan and trying to go ahead and get these batteries removed. To what end? One could only guess. But more likely than not, taking out those batteries would totally reset all of the data in those machines and then also at the same time, it would decertify them. So that's another problem for the state of Michigan, for Jocelyn Benson and all of this corruption that she's trying to do. And it's funny because a lot of this stuff, again, we wouldn't be sitting here in July if, of course, you know, the courts had done their job back in November, December, January, especially the Supreme Court being probably the biggest defender here. But um, the uh, election solutions had decided that they were going to go visit every county in Michigan, go to every county clerk and take the batteries. Uh, they even set out a notice saying uh, in the event that you cannot come to uh, in the event that you are not available, you can even take your uh, you could take your um, you could take your your voting machine and bring it to us in another county and we'll service for you there. So then there there's there there's a whole question of the county clerk even being able to take their machines over to another county to go get service to remove the batteries. And this is approved by Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of Snakes. She knows about it. So Matthew DiPerno says, cease and desist, election source. And that's what this notice is all about here. So check that out. Uh, it says, uh, hello to all. We will be visiting Oceana. Oh, no, this is not the cease and desist. Where's my cease and desist? <laughs> My bad. This is actually the letter from election source to all the counties. Uh, we'll be visiting Oceana County on July 15th to perform preventative maintenance on your voting equipment. There is not an upgrade at this time, just the preventative maintenance. Okay, so everything I was talking about, it's right here. And then uh, let me see if I can't get that uh, thing on Matthew DePerno. He sent him a cease and desist. Uh, let me see if I can't scoop that up for you guys real quick. Because basically, he basically the big fear here is that um, they will uh, they will erase all of this information. Here we go. They will erase all this information. There we go. There we go. Thank goodness for modern technology. Sometimes, right, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so actually, let's go ahead and open this image so I can expand that for you guys. Let's go ahead and make that. Oh boy, that is pretty big right there. Okay, so uh, am I? On, are we on screen? Okay. So yeah, he's afraid that they're basically going to ruin all of that. Uh, they're going to get rid of all that data. So this is uh, this is Matthew DePerno's demand: cease and desist and demand for preservation of documents and other 
things. Okay, so let me see, make sure we got all this right here. So it says here, uh, this morning I received a copy of an email dated July 8, 2021, stating that election source will be visiting Michigan counties, precincts, and townships in order to perform preventative maintenance. The letter further states that it is not responsible, it is not necessary for the clerk to be on site while we work. We just need access to this equipment. Your email further states that you will be pulling the battery from the units. Considering your profession, you must clearly know this process will erase any volatile microelectronic memory in the machine, destroying any forensic trail of current configurations and historical data on the system, including all configurations and data used in the November general election. Uh, this letter is to advise that the process uh, of your uh, uh, the process you describe in your email will clearly violate 52 U.S. Code 20701-20702. Your efforts to destroy um, election data and information is intentional. This letter demands that you cease and desist any and all efforts to destroy or alter any voting records or data, including but not limited to the records and data that may be destroyed or altered by removing the ICX batteries or the obvious destruction and alteration described in your email. So there was that uh, from Mr. DePerno over to them. And so that was in the nick of time, honestly, because um, they were going to go out on the 15th, which is tomorrow. They were going to do this tomorrow in all counties, precincts and townships up in Michigan, therefore destroying all of the evidence. But now they cannot do it. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they're going to do it or if they're not going to do it. Uh, but um, they have been served, so to speak. So there's that there from that, you guys. Let's get that guy off the screen. All right. So that wraps up a quick tap into Michigan and some of what's going on over there. Let's take a look at Arizona now. Uh, there's a little bit of a little bit of news going on in Arizona at the moment. Uh, we'll start with an update from uh, Arizona um, chairman for the GOP, that is uh, Miss Kelly Ward, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Arizona, it is time for the daily update from the Republican Party of Arizona. I am your chairwoman, Dr. Kelly Ward. We have a new phase for the audits of the 2020 general election in Maricopa County, or as we like to call it, America's audits. The hand count was completed, as I've said before. And the ballots were moved from the arena to a smaller, also very secure building on the property to ensure the highest standards of accuracy. An additional count is underway. This double check is using machines, yes, machines, to do a count of the actual physical ballots. Now, these are not voting machines. They are not from Dominion or any other voting company. They are not going to be tabulating any of the votes. These machines will simply be counting the number of pages, the number of ballots. They work by stacking ballots upon them, and then the machine counts the corners of the pieces of paper. These machines are commonly used by printing companies and other people who want to know how many pieces of paper are in a stack. The primary reason for this double check is that there may have been inconsistencies that were found in America's audit. This additional step will increase the time it takes to complete the audit, but as Senator Fan and the, the state Senate in Arizona who commissioned this audit 
has stated, accuracy is much more important than speed. In other election integrity news, an indictment has been filed by the attorney general in Arizona against voter fraud in last year's general election. Allegedly, fraudulent votes that were cast by dead people <laughs> are, are being investigated. And this shows the importance of purging our voter files accurately and promptly. I am glad that we are sending a message that we take voter integrity seriously here in Arizona. That's it for today. And remember, here at the Republican Party of Arizona, it is always America first. I'll see you next time. All right. Oh, boy, it was good to have Dr. Kelly Martin back on the screen here at the C-Report. We haven't seen Dr. Kelly Martin in a little bit, right, guys? So, yeah, so, uh, just, you know, she said it better than I could have. Of course, uh, the uh, the uh, fourth recount has uh, has commenced. They had these machines that were taking like 600 ballots at a time. I think they got two of them. Might be more. But, um, yeah. Why do they have to do this? Why do they have to do this? Of course, it's because, uh, as you guys may be aware, it's been all over Twitter and everywhere else. Senate President Karen Fan did indeed say that uh, the uh, the ballot totals of Maricopa County and the numbers uh, that they actually had don't match. But we'll get into that in just a second. Um, let's talk a bit first about what she was talking about, about this indictment. So now, uh, as you all know, uh, there are several cases of dead people voting, right? I mean, this is, this is like one of those things that it's just, uh, it happens, right? It happens. Uh, dead people vote, you know, they all go Democrat once they die, right? Well, um, as is the case in Arizona as well, uh, they're finally moving on a case uh, that um, uh, they have found. So, you know, she she mentioned, you know, dead voters voting, but uh, this was something that was brought to our attention from A.G. Bronovich. Now, of course, A.G. Bronovich is the sleeping bear over there in um, uh, the state of Arizona. Can't say that he's uh, too active whenever he's awake. You know, but, uh, you know, he, he makes himself, uh, you know, come out and do a couple of things, you know, every whenever he's not hibernating. Uh, but so basically here um, in this story, it's a Scottsdale woman. She's been indicted and accused of casting a vote in her deceased mother's name through an early ballot in the 2020 general election. Now, the funny thing, well, not the funny thing, the thing about that is, is like, I guess this is, I guess the reason why, I mean, aside from the fact that it proves that this stuff does happen. Uh, we know it happened on a larger scale, though. Like, it, I guess it's just not as easily provable when you don't have someone that you can actually indict that's sitting in a chair that you could say, hey, you actually did this. Um, uh, because on the scale that I think that they were doing it with the people who've been dead, like people who voted, like who, who were like alive in like 1840 or whatever, like that, I guess, would be uh, harder to prosecute. Uh, and and in, in that way of speaking, it would be harder to prove, even though obviously if they're dead, you know, there's dead records. They had people who were actually looking up, um, um, you know, the records of people who were alive or dead in the state of Arizona. I'm sure all of that will come out in the report, too, as well, because uh, they have mentioned that prior to this. But this is one that was in uh, real life, real time, that they're actually prosecuting on uh, from a, a release from Attorney General Bronovich office. It said... Uh, that uh, Mark Bronovich announced uh, today that the state grand jury indicted Tracy M uh, K. McKee, Tracy K. McKee, uh, 
of Scottsdale, Arizona, with one count of illegal voting and one count of perjury for allegedly casting a vote in the name of a deceased person through an early ballot in the 2020 general election. The indictment alleges that McKee signed the name of a deceased individual to an early ballot envelope. McKee is the daughter of the deceased individual who died on October 5th, 2020. McKee is accused of signing her deceased mother's name to a declaration made under penalty of perjury of an early ballot envelope on or, or between October 7, 2020 and November 3rd, 2020. All charge charge defendants are presumed innocent until proven guilty. So she's been indicted. I guess they'll see where it goes from there. But that's just one real life happening now example of uh, people voting in the name of dead individuals. All right. Look at that pretty face there. Let's talk about Miss Karen Fan. This is the Senate president, uh, Senate President Karen Fan. Now we've seen her here and there. You know, she's had a lot. She's dealt a lot with this more in regards to the legal aspects of what's going on. Like she's she's really gone toe to toe with attorneys, attorneys general, and all of that stuff. So anyways, as I was saying prior to this, uh, Karen Fan did come out and she did say that at this point, the audit ballot totals from the forensic audit they've been performing do not match Maricopa County's numbers. Uh, So that leads a lot of speculation. I mean, uh, according to Christina Bob over at OAN, they will be releasing even more discrepancies in the next 48 hours. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, we're going to listen to Karen Fan break some of this down. Uh, She was live on the air on uh, Arizona's KTAR on the Mike Broomhead show. And uh, it was a pretty interesting chit chat. So let's go ahead and listen to that for just a sec. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Uh, so let's start with the count. Um, you are counting ballots, not uh, votes, but ballots. Is that beginning today? We heard it was going to begin today. Yes, that is correct. So um, this company, Clear Ballot, that offered to help with this, that offered to help in the first place, are they going to be a part of this? Any consideration to bring them in to do this, or are you going to have your people do it? So uh, Clear Ballot is not a part of this at this point. They have just... Um, this morning or yesterday actually reached out and said they would offer to set up a Zoom meeting to talk about their methodology of doing this. But let me back up and let you know exactly what this count is. Um, We are finishing up, the the vendor is finishing up what we call the aggregation, double-checking the the spreadsheets against the blue tally sheets against the scans they did on the ballots. Because before we turn those ballots back to Maricopa County, they want to make sure that every one of those check and balances match um, before they start doing the uh, the analysis of all the data they received. And a question came up a couple of weeks ago from our attorney and said, so what if Maricopa County's um, ballots are count is X and the vendor's count is Y? And we turn those ballots back. How do we know which one is really correct if there is a difference there? Because we won't have those possession of those ballots anymore. So that's when we said, let's get a couple of our own independent machines in, not Dominion's, separate ones, and do our own independent. And all we're doing is just counting the number of ballots. It's a paper counting machine is all it does. So, so that will help us give uh, like a third check and balance to see if those numbers are closer to the vendor's numbers or Maricopa counties, or they all three could be right on target. 
So was there a discrepancy between the numbers that the county said they had and the numbers that were counted by the cyber ninjas? Was there a discrepancy? They haven't released an, an, uh, a, a number yet, if you will. However, we do know that those numbers do not match with Maricopa County at this point. Okay, let's talk about the cyber ninjas. I, I know you know that I've been critical of what's happened and what's become of this, and I want to give you a chance to defend this. Are you confident in the job that the cyber ninjas did? Yes, I am. And I'm confident because it's not just them. Everybody keeps just touting on them when actually they are working with a number of other contractors that have experience in, in audits and in their expertise in their own field. So this is a, you know, this is a joint effort. This is why it was so difficult to come up with somebody because there is no companies out there certified to do forensic election audits. This is the first of its kind. And despite all of the hurdles, I mean, Maricopa County has not cooperated at all. They still haven't turned over things that they were supposed to in the subpoena. They have done everything in their power to try and stop this. Then we have, uh, of course, Katie Hobbs, Adrian Fontes, the Democrat Party that has done everything in their um, ability to try and stop us, taking us to court, suing us over things. It's It's been a difficult challenge, but we... We are persevering on this. And so let me uh, let me lay a case out for you. And I want you to, I want to give you full t all the time you want to to clarify. Um, we talked about the beginning of this with the reporter being in the in the Coliseum four days in a row without being stopped. We've talked about the pens and the mistakes that were made with the wrong colored pens. We've had multiple people on the floor with cell phones when cell phones weren't supposed to be on the floor. The documentary crew that was there and the documentary crew being allowed into the cage where the ballots were. Now, I know the ballot boxes were closed but they were allowed into that secure area. Do you understand with all those things being said that there are some people, now you and I have been on the same side of the aisle on so many things, but do you understand when people say that we have big concerns about the way this was done? There was a Republican, I believe, in Pima County that's a ballot audit expert that's been doing it for over 10 years that said there is a 0% chance that there's going to be accuracy in this from the cyber ninjas. How do you respond to all of those accusations and complaints? Well, first of all, because um, all you guys are hearing is the, the negative spin that is being put out by the media right now. And, and you're not hearing all the positive things. You're not hearing about the true accuracy of all the security that was gone. Why is the documentary team there? That's because they were actually documenting and filming all of those ballot boxes because every one of those boxes through the 24-7 the uh, monitoring, the cameras over the ballots, um, all of those are documenting every single movement that is made because we know when it's all said and done, we're just going to get trashed again. And we want to be able to say, if we find problems, and I say if we find problems, we need to back it up six ways from Sundays. And that means that every one of all of, I mean, they have, I don't know how many terabytes of, of data that they have already gathered on this one. So um, do I think that it's gone as smoothly as it's, it could have? Heck no. This is the first time in the history of our nation that anybody has done an audit of this magnitude. And so quite honestly, we are doing a lot of things, triple checking just to make sure that this is all correct um, because this will be what other states are going to look for in the future. If anybody else does an audit, they're going to say, okay, what was the most efficient way to do it? 
but I'm going back to the original deal. Remember, we never wanted these ballots or the machines moved at all to begin with. Maricopa County said that they would do an audit with us. They backed out of it, which is why now we had to go through all of this expense and the turmoil of having to go through all of this because Maricopa County is not cooperating with us anyway whatsoever. Why would Maricopa County, with all of the Republicans that have been, again, same as you and I, have been on that side of the aisle on the same side of so many issues, why would the Republicans and the County Board of Supervisors try to stop you from doing this um, if they didn't think they had a legitimate reason? What What do you think their, their plan was? So the question is, is why wouldn't they do it? When the polling, High Ground did a polling showing that 45% of our voters, not just the Republican voters, voters in Arizona, think that there are serious problems or fraud within our electoral system. A lot of this was a direct result of some of the shenanigans that Adrian Fontes had been trying to uh, do in the, the last couple of elections. Uh, you know, the marking, the Xing out your ballot and doing another one, trying to push to just send ballots to everybody, regardless whether you were on the voter rolls or not. Um, it was so bad that two years ago, two and a half years ago, the Board of Supers, Supervisors actually hired somebody to oversee Adrian Fontes because they didn't trust him. So why wouldn't we want to say, let's do a double check to make sure that our procedures are correct, that Adrian Fontes actually followed the laws, followed the rules, as did anybody else. I'm not necessarily picking on him, but he's the one that was in charge. He's the one that was trying to do some of this funny business. So why wouldn't we want to look at it just to make sure that our electoral system is safe and secure? What is more sacred to the American public other than our religious beliefs and our, our Second Amendment right to defend ourselves? Isn't election integrity right up there with those as well? I agree, absolutely. And that's why didn't the county, in all fairness, didn't the county do a hand count? And then wasn't there also an audit done by two separate companies of the hardware and software, the Dominion machines that they said came back without any fraud? So much so that even now the new county recorder, who is Stephen Richer, who is a staunch Republican and was a Trump supporter, said that the elections were done the right way. So was it, why is that not why was that not good enough? Okay, so first of all, you talk about Maricopa County doing a hand count. They did a very small amount. If you remember, this was an extremely tight race. They also pre-picked which boxes they were going to do the hand count out. So, and we, and from the beginning, I kept asking those guys, they said, let's do a much bigger one. Let's get in front of this because we can see there's a lot of people that have questions. Let's help solve those answers. Let's try and get those for the people. And originally they said, yep, we're behind you, Karen. We're going to do this 100%. Then all of a sudden they go into executive session and change their tune. They also agreed to do a forensic audit. When they went into executive session, they, oh yeah, we're going to do an audit and we're going to do two but we're going to go with ProBNB and SLI. Neither one of those firms are forensic audit companies. They are companies that are authorized by the federal government to certify machines, certified machines. And okay. one of them was the one that certified the machines to begin with. So they went back on their word there about not doing a forensic. They hired two companies that basically certify the machines. SLI, when I tried to talk to them and said, you know, tell me if you're going to do more, they refused to talk to me. They said, we work for Maricopa County. We're not talking to you or anybody else. Right. So we have those issues there. When we talk about Stephen Richard, 
I don't know him personally, but he was not even the recorder. So how does he even know whether Adrian Fontes conducted this election correctly or not? I would think that Mr. Richard would be on board with this and saying, you know what, I'm starting over. Remember, Mr. Richard, when he ran, he ran on the on the premise that Mr. Fontes was doing some um, some unusual things, if you will. So why is it when he ran, he was all over Adrian Fontes about maybe not doing everything exactly right, and now all of a sudden he's siding with the Board of Supervisors saying, oh, nothing to see here. Why is that? I, I, that's a good question. Um, one last question, because I'm just about out of time. Um, you mentioned before that there was a discrepancy in the count between um, what the county said they had and what Cyber Ninjas and the other contractors counted. Do you know what that, how off that is? What is the number that they're off? I do not know. They have not told me the number. I okay. do not know. Well, Senator, um, I always appreciate the conversation. I always appreciate your willingness to come on and talk about this, and I hope you'll do it again. I will be glad to. Thank you, Mike. I right. appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks, Senator. That is Senator Karen Fan, Senate President here in the state of Arizona. Oh, she's awesome, guys. I just love it when a voice of calm reasoning comes into the room and lays down the smack. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and as speaking of that, like they're talking about this Stephen Richer guy. I, I, you guys, I don't know if you guys remember what he looks like. He's the one that I said he was living in denial. Because uh, he had a pretty, pretty bad comb over. Um, uh, you know, he, he came out uh, just within the last couple of days. Now, this guy's a this guy's a full blown Republican, right? He's a county recorder for all the, you know, does works with the election stuff. Like she said um, in this in this uh, interview, the previous county recorder was doing some things that were kind of fishy. So Stephen Richer ran on the platform that, you know, hey, I'm going to go and uh, clean things out again. Now, after the election, he says that he ran on the platform of making elections boring again, right? Like he was trying to be cute or something like that since, you know, anyways. Okay. So, uh, but he came out recently in AZ Central. Now, uh, keep in mind, guys, like a lot of the media on the ground there, a lot of the local media in Arizona, it is all, and I mean, it's all liberal progressive run. Like the people who control that stuff over there, way left, left people just, it's, it's nothing is, it's not fair and balanced as a lot of these uh, news uh, organizations claim to be. Um, but he got, he goes in there and again, he starts ripping into uh, the work that's going on in the Arizona audit. He starts ripping into, uh, you know, them not using um, certified um, uh, audit Certified certifiers, because apparently, according to Karen Fan, the people that they have certified by the EAC to perform audits are only certified to certify the machines. Like, calm voices of reasoning. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So thank you very much to Karen Fan for that great interview. Now, I actually pulled this up because... I was kind of thinking, hey, we haven't seen what's going on in those live. Remember these live cameras that they used to have during the election audit? There's only one now. So I hadn't looked at it in a while. So I figured I'd, I'd look at it and show you guys what I see. <laughs> so here, this this is inside that building. I can't remember. It's like the Bolin building or something like that. So this is where they're running the the um, they're running the ballots through these tabulate these machines right here. You see them? They're doing it right there. Those are the machines. I guess they only did get two. That's what it looks like. But they still have four cameras going on in there. Just, you know, all funneled into one. Here are all the ballots locked up and sealed. There's the police officers. 
This guy's saying, you guys rock. I love you guys. We'll see you guys later. Take it easy, man. All right, bye. Out of here. He's saying goodbye to his friend. I guess his work shift is over. Bye, guy. Thank you for everything you're doing, volunteering. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm just playing with these guys. But that's pretty cool. So anyways, just in case you guys are wondering what was going on there, that is just a quick sh update about that, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Oh, my bad. There we go. All right. There we go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's see what we got next on the agenda for you guys. I think we're going to be talking about... I think we're going to be talking about North Carolina next. Is it North Carolina? It's North Carolina. Okay, so North Carolina. What's going on in North Carolina? This is has this has to do with uh, what am I doing? This has to do with uh, Twitter. Uh, Twitter. No, no, no. Facebook. No, no, no. YouTube. Ah, one of those big tech companies that just got sued by uh, President Donald Trump. Okay, so what's going on in North Carolina? So basically, uh, a county in North Carolina. They got together to have, you know, one of their, you know, government meetings. We're talking televised. This is like, you know, uh, city council type of thing, you know, where uh, wherein uh, the heads of the local government meet up for an open meeting. And then you have citizens of your county come in and speak for two or three minutes, talk about what their concerns are. Typical city government meeting, right? So what ends up happening here is... Uh, they post their meeting online. Now, this is something that they do normally, right? Uh, this is something that they've done, you know, probably as long as they've as long as they have been able to. <laughs> Thank you for that, uh, <laughs> Doreen Merck. Doreen Merck's pulling out her fighting gloves over there in Twitch, guys. All right. Oh, and thank you for the the can as well. I appreciate it. And loyal to the foil, I see you in there. Thank you for the cookie, my friend. Um, but yeah, so uh, so with this whole thing with the election, um, yeah, well, well, uh, <laughs> what we're talking about with YouTube here. So okay, so uh, to be specific, okay, uh, what we have here is um, they had a meeting on June 16th in Henderson County. North Carolina. It was the Henderson County Board of Commissioners. They uploaded a video to YouTube. Of course, this is their county meeting where people can go in and address these commissioners. Um, and they up, they uploaded it on their YouTube on Friday, June 18th. Now, within hours, YouTube had taken it off. <laughs> YouTube was like, nope, sorry, you can't do that. Now, just, just to be sure, during the emergency meeting, the board of directors, staff, um, they uh, seek out other platforms which the board meetings can post it to. Um, so, okay, well, that's that's having to do something else. Now, the public comment period for this June 16th meeting, several people had asked that the commissioners not use local taxpayer money to assist in North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper's vaccine incentives. Okay, so there was, I think it said about 12 people got together and well, I mean, they didn't get together, but at least 12 individuals came and they spoke at this meeting asking him not to spend the money on like, this is what Roy Cooper wants to spend on the vaccine relief fund, right? He wants to spend $4 million on a cash drawing so that you can go get your vaccine in the state of North Carolina. Now that is four $1 million cash drawings. Not to mention, he also wants to provide $25 cash cards. So these are the small things that you can win in North Carolina if you are vaccinated. And uh, in addition to that, um, he also wanted to spend some of this money on signage and billboards 
to promote all of this stuff. So these people were like, nope, we're not going to have that in our county at least, right? So they went to their Henderson County Board of Commissioners meeting to speak their minds on it. And YouTube pulls the video. Now, uh, YouTube, of course, now, and it's interesting that they're still doing this, considering the fact that they just got sued, right? You'd think that they would stop, but apparently they're, they're just doubling down on everything that they do. Now, there was a representative from Henderson County uh, by the name of Lapsley, Mr. Lapsley, um, said that it was it was citizens who were commenting on it. It had nothing to do with the dialogue of the commissioners. So the commissioners went on. That was not on their agenda. They were not going to be talking about this stuff. Um, um, but as Mr. Lapsley said, it was an opportunity for anybody to tell the commission commissioners what's on their mind, just like you would do at a, you know, a government or city council meeting type of situation. Um, and they said that they had uploaded it for several years. They've been doing this on YouTube for several years. So they were shocked. They were shooketh by the fact that YouTube would do such a thing. Now, a spokesperson for YouTube told them since the beginning of dawn of time. No, just kidding. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, we established clear policies to prevent the spread of misinformation that could lead to real world harm. While we welcome open debate and discussion about the COVID-19 vaccines on our platform, we don't allow content that includes claims the vaccines have killed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Sorry, guys, I'm just having fun. Uh, and as such, we removed a video from Henderson County Board of Commissioners channel. Now, again, this was nothing on their agenda. You just had 12 individuals from Henderson County coming to speak their minds on the situation. Uh, they never made direct claims that vaccines killed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And each of them spoke against the vaccine program because they felt that when you're offering millions of dollars and cash cards and you're paying for these billboards, that it is targeting a group of people with suppressed facts. This is basically their point. It's coercion. You know, they're bribing people to take this. They, people don't have the full facts on what's going on. Uh, so that was the case there. Now, now, in response to this, though, because YouTube basically said no, like they appealed to YouTube. You know, they had several people on the commission and other people in their offices appeal to YouTube. They're like, look, guys, like this wasn't us. It was the people of Henderson County. Don't be unreasonable. You know, like we can we can work this out. Just kidding. But, you know, basically that's they're they're appealing to them. Right. So. Hen so since Henderson County just said no, I mean, they just they hard stuff. No, we're not going to do it. That they, they received an, they received an answer to their appeal within an hour. I mean, I've I've waited months to get an answer to an appeal, right? But they received within an hour they had an answer. They said no, it's staying down. We're not going to do it anyways. So this is what Henderson County does. Henderson County they decided that they're going to pull any Google or a Google related items. Like they're no longer going to fund Google. They're no longer they're no longer going to staff. Any of their their uh, their people staff, they're no no longer going to provide any of their staff with any Google related products. So it says though the Chromebooks have already been budgeted for fiscal year 2021, 
Mr. Lapsley said an equivalent to the Chromebooks that are, are not manufactured by Google will be considered for fiscal year 2022. He says, we aren't going to buy Google products whenever we have a choice. Because basically, they're going to start voting with their money. Kind of like the way, uh, you know, um, the, the legislature of Georgia pulled Coca-Cola out of their state buildings when they start to go woke. Well, in response to this censorship, they're going to go ahead and pull any Google products and will no longer be purchasing with Google. So I think that's a pretty good story if you ask me. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, it's about time some people start to realize that we have options, we have choices, and if these people want to be, and they should also join the class action lawsuit, I would say that too. <laughs> I mean, why not Henderson County, North Carolina, jump on that bandwagon, join that gravy train, right? Uh, we'll see how far, <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But anyways, so that was uh, that was an interesting story out of North Carolina. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about 2A. Here's some good 2A news. I'm bringing you guys some good stories tonight since we were so we were so far low on the uh, on the uh, energy vibrational charts last night after I showed you all that stuff from Cuba. And by the way, I did look into some of the Cuba matters today. I found like maybe two or three videos, but nothing like the onslaught of videos that were coming on Sunday and Monday out of Cuba. I found two or three videos. They were bloody. So we weren't going to share them, but like I was saying, they're saying the uh, they're saying that there's no uh, internet in Cuba. Well, well, there you have it. There's no longer any video footage coming out of Cuba, just like maybe two or three videos. So, anyways, uh, let's see what we have here. Talking about Second Amendment, uh, federal court rules that um, the ban on handgun sales for those under the age of 21 is unconstitutional. So that's a that's a bit of a victory right there, you know. I mean, unless you don't want your 18-year-old having the ability to purchase a handgun. Okay, but now this was um this was for uh and this was in a an appeals court that this took place. And it's not throughout the entire United States. Because I'm sure it's it's different from state to state, obviously. But this was in the fourth United States Circuit Court of Appeals that a uh, uh, federal court went ahead and ruled in favor. Now, in a two-to-one vote, three-judge panel on the fourth United States Circuit Court of Appeals found that a law Congress passed in 1968 sets a minimum age of 21 for purchasing handguns violates the Second Amendment. So this was a, a federal appeals court that went ahead and ruled this way. Sorry, let me move that back on the screen. Uh, so this is what the ruling was from Judge Julius and Richardson, who is an appointee of President Donald Trump. He said, looking through this historical lens to the text and structure of the Constitution reveals that 18 to 20 year olds have Second Amendment rights. Virtually every other constitutional right applies whatever the age is. And the Second Amendment is no different. He went on to say, the militia laws in force at the time of ratification uniformly require those 18 and older to join the militia and bring their own arms. While some historically historical restrictions existed, none support finding that 18-year-olds lack rights under the Second Amendment. And so a lot of this had come back. Oh, well, let's see what uh, Judge G. Stevens. This is one of the other uh, one of the other judges that ruled in favor of this. He was actually a George W. Bush appointee. Now, he said 
Congress used disproportionate crime rates to craft over-inclusive laws that restrict the rights of overwhelmingly law-abiding citizens. And in doing so, Congress focused on purchases from licensed dealers without establishing those dealers as the source of the guns 18 to 20-year-olds use to commit crimes. Despite the weighty interest in reducing crime and violence, we refuse to relegate either the Second Amendment or eight, uh, the Second Amendment or 18 to 20 year olds to a second class status. Congress may not restrict the rights of an entire age group or group of law abiding adults because a minuscule portion of that group commits a disproportionate amount of gun violence. Now, this entire situation came about because um, a woman by the name of Natalie Marshall from the state of Virginia filed a lawsuit in 2018 against the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives to challenge the law after she was denied a gun, denied a gun from a licensed firearms dealer because she was 18 at the time that she attempted to make this purchase. Marshall wanted to buy the gun to protect herself from her abusive ex-boyfriend and defend herself against other potential threats. Another plaintiff in the case against the ATF had since turned 21 at the time of the ruling, which rendered his case mute or moot. I apologize. So that was a pretty good ruling there, you know, so but this only applies in five states. Only five states are covered by the Fourth Circuit. That would include North and South Carolina Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. So in those five states, uh, individuals under the age of 21, 18 years of age or older, have the right to purchase a handgun. Now, another interesting note to this was that it was not in uh, the ruling. The original ruling was not uh, in regards to an 18-year-old owning a handgun. An 18-year-old could own a handgun. They simply could not purchase a handgun. So with this new ruling from the Fourth Circuit Court um, of Judges, they can now purchase handguns in North South Carolina, uh, Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. So just a little bit of 2A news for you guys there, in case you guys would like to know. Uh, and we'll move on to <laughs> what's our next story? Oh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Didn't mean to scare you like that. What is going on with wretched Gretchen Whitmer, governor of Michigan? Now, you'll notice I separated her story from what we were talking about earlier with Michigan because she's getting to the back of the news pack now. We don't really care about wretched Gretchen Whitmer. We know her number's up. We know she's one of the most corrupt uh, 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 governors in the country. And she's also one of the most, she's probably the top corrupt politician there in the state of Michigan. But anyways, some good news against wretched Gretchen Whitmer over in the state of Michigan. Um, the state board has voted four to zero to certify a petition to revoke wretched Gretchen Whitmer's emergency powers. So, you know, she's been in lockdown mode in Michigan forever. She's basically held them hostage in spite of the fact that she's, you know, run rampant all over her own um, overreaching um, rules and regulations. Now, this is from Unlock Michigan. Now, you guys remember Unlock Michigan. They've been fighting for this for quite some time. So what they're actually doing here, uh, the petition that was from Unlock Michigan, it said, 
Uh, let's see. It said here, uh, the proposal from Unlock Michigan, it does one thing. It repeals the law that allows a Michigan governor to govern by decree without end and without accountability. The repeal of this 1945 law. Now, the 1945 law is, in fact, the law that uh, this wretched Gretchen Whitmer utilized in order to overextend her governance in regards to these uh, lockdown and other um, other fascist COVID regulations that she forced on everyone in her state. She forced them on them. Um, so it says with the repeal of the 1945 law that has long outlived its usefulness. Governor Whitmer and all future governors will retain important powers to respond in case of legitimate emergencies, but they'll have to work with the legislature to respond to long-term problems. We can all agree that COVID-19 is still a problem. Now, this is from the proposal, but the emergency is long since passed, except in the mind of governor of the governor who refuses to give up her preference to govern by decree. That's their proposal, all in one sentence. Um, you, and then, of course, they, they had this place where you could sign it. Now, the Unlock Michigan petition was originally filed in October 2020. And that was after the board um, uh, in April had, a, a, well, they, no, let me take this back. I'm getting tongue tied here. I'm getting tongue tied again today. I don't know what's up with that. Now, in 2020, they had actually had a, um, a vote on it with the board but it didn't pass. And then in April, they had a deadlock. So April and October were the last times that this petition had been considered. Uh, since then, like I said, um, they had um, they had a, a four to zero vote to go ahead and certify this petition. So they're looking forward to finally being able to get this passed. It'll go to uh, the Michigan House and Senate for an initiative to repeal the law against the abuse that uh, it's been used by wretched Gretchen Whitmer. So some more good news there coming from the state of Michigan. It's about dang time, right, guys? All right, finally for tonight, we have Rand Paul's story. Hello, Mr. Rand Paul. Okay, so for tonight on Rand Paul, uh, we see Rand Paul is taking um, uh, legislative action against mask mandates now, we know that he's been fighting with Fauci. He's he's gone on record about the whole vaccine thing as well. I mean, he has a perfectly good immune system. So why take the vaccine? Correct, Mr. Paul? Yes, Mr. Paul. Dr. Paul, I'm sorry. So now he's going and I'm oh, thank goodness for Dr. Paul. Now he's going to task on public transportation. Why on earth? Are they still mandating that people in uh, public trans transportation, or I should say the agencies, are still demanding that we wear these masks, you know? So he's going to take, he's written a law on that. Um, before we get into that law, though, let's listen to a few words from Dr. Senator Rand Paul. Uh, I, I enjoyed this little discourse he was having with some of his constituents over in Kentucky. Here he slams faulty on um, Fauci on faulty mask guidance and then some. Uh, so sit back a spell, ladies and gentlemen. 65 took the vaccine. And my guess is if there is another way, which I don't think there's going to be another big one, but if there is, more people will go back and take it when they see people getting sick. We're not stupid. But the thing is, is the other side believes that we are, that, that they are elite enough to know the truth and we can't handle the truth. So when Dr. Fauci first said that no masks work, he was mostly telling the truth, but not completely. By saying no masks work, he was saying it, and he told us already, he says he was, he was lying. He was lying for our own good, because he was afraid you would go out and buy the N95 masks, which do work. 
If you go to a hospital, if you want to know which masks work, ask a doctor or nurse what masks they wear when they go in the COVID room when somebody has COVID. It's only the N95 mask, and it works only because it's fit very tightly and worn properly and not touched, and you have gloves, and when you leave the room, guess what? The mask goes in the trash, and the, and the gloves go in the trash. So there is a protection that works. But if I tell you, if you cut up your T-shirt and wear it, that it's a great idea? Hey, hey, we don't do that here at the C-Report. You need permission to advertise, my friend. (laughs) Now, that's the thing here, ladies and gentlemen. I watched this video through last time, and there was no advertisements. So I don't know what's up with that. I probably had it on pause for too long. Okay. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go and back that up a little bit, a little, a few seconds. Okay. But if I tell you, if you cut up your T-shirt and wear it, that it's a great idea, they don't work. The pores of every cloth mask are bigger than the virus. They don't work. But I'm he, sorry. Did you see that person walk by with the mask on anyways? Changed his mind and started telling us that all masks work. That's a disservice also. If you're 80 years old and you're sitting at home and you're going to take care of your spouse, you would want to wear an N95 mask. You don't want to wear a cloth mask because they don't work. So he's once again encouraging to to engage in behavior that is dangerous with faulty information. He's not being honest with it because we're not smart enough to handle the truth, he thinks. But here's the other thing. If you're 80 years old and a lot of people, people on television don't realize this, but if I'm I'm 58 years old and my wife gets sick, I'm staying with her. That's just my choice, and a lot of people are that way. But the thing is, is you know there's a treatment if your wife is sick or your husband is sick to prevent you from getting the disease. Monoclonal antibodies have been studied. If you give monoclonal antibodies to somebody who's sick, who the spouse they're taking care of, there's a much lower incidence of getting the infection and a much higher incidence of surviving it. There are also some other over-the-counter treatments or prescription treatments that people try, but they're out there. But I haven't heard Dr. Fauci say one word about it. He's on TV 10 times a day, but he could be helping save lives. In fact, I think he will be responsible for tens of thousands of lives in India lost. Why? Because instead of prioritizing the vaccine to those who haven't had it, he's saying everybody should get it. What's terrible advice? You should start with those over 65. And then next you should do probably those overweight and over 40. And the very last people in line should be the youngest people, if at all. But you should prioritize it. There's not enough vaccine for the people that want it in India. They were having 6,000 deaths a day for the last couple weeks. It's come down now. But the thing is, is they're talking about two years to vaccinate enough people to get to where they need to go. Well, it might do better if you weren't vaccinating people who already had the disease. That cuts out millions of people. If you don't vaccinate the children, that cuts out millions of people. You can target the people most at risk. These seem to me to be common sense. But he denies every one of these. That's the only reason they're talking about vaccinating children. They don't think we're at herd immunity, and in all likelihood we are. Will the vaccine be pretty safe for kids? Probably, but it should be your choice. You shouldn't be told it's like, oh well, public school's a privilege. Well, I thought I paid taxes for the public school. I'm not going to get to go unless I'm vaccinated. My kid can't go to college unless they take the vaccine. He had it two months ago. Has anybody studied whether or not you get more side effects if you've already had the disease and you get the vaccine? We do know this, that if you've had the disease and you get the vaccine, you get a thousand times more response, an immune response, than someone who hasn't had the disease. Now, that might be good. You might be a thousand times better, or it could be that's where the side effects come from, from having so much of an immune response. We don't know the answer, but we should ask the questions. The bottom line is it's a different worldview. 
I'm of the worldview that I believe in freedom so strongly that I believe in the freedom for you to disagree with me, the freedom to make your own choice. And like I say, while I would tell you maybe last month or in January or whenever not to go to church, if you were at risk, I would never command that. It is your choice. My in-laws, we got them the vaccine immediately. My dad, for those of you who know, I'm not always persuasive with my dad. He would not take the vaccine. But it's his choice. He's 85 years old. He's lived a long life. That's his choice. We're going to hold people down. It's a free country. Make your decision. Persuade. guys, even Ron Paul did not take the vaccine. He's like, I'm not going to take that vaccine. All right, go, Ron. And he was, he's 85. That's insane, y'all. I mean, it's, I mean, it's great. I don't. Go, Ron Paul. I knew I voted for you for a reason, sir. In people. And I'm not trying to persuade people not to. But in a free society, you make your own health care choices. They shouldn't be commanded. I don't want to live in a world where i got to present papers, particularly to a bunch of nincompoops who aren't obeying the science. I've already had it. <laughs> i got as much immunity. They're like, you don't know how long your immunity will last. You don't know how long your vaccine will last. My immunity's lasted for a year and a half by most of the studies, and the vaccine's been bound around six months and it's doing pretty well. I'm not denying that the vaccine won't last for a while. Why do you deny natural immunity is going to last? Nobody knows. But the bottom line is we're going to get beyond this, and we should learn some things from this. One of the most important battles over the separation of powers occurred from this, not in Washington, but in Frankfurt. And I think this is worth addressing because it makes a difference as to what happens the next time this comes around. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe they're running this many ads on this video. There were no ads the last time I saw this video. Oh, they really don't like Dr. Paul. It's crazy saying Dr. Paul when I used to call Dr. Paul, Dr. Paul. I'm talking about his father, of course, anyways. Long time Ron Paul supporter. Anyways, okay, uh, this video is almost done. I just cannot believe how many times it has been interrupted. All right, sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll continue. It's probably the last time they'll interrupt, hopefully. In our state, the governor, uh, and in many states, issued executive orders. And these executive orders, he said, how many people can gather? This was illegal for most of last year. How many people can be in a restaurant where the restaurant can open? Apparently, COVID comes out after 10 p.m. because you can drink all you want before 10 p.m. But between 10 and 11, buddy, the COVID is out there in the bar, so you got to be gone. There's no signs based on that. Telling an eighth grade kid they can't run in the track meet outside without a mask, that, that's just not scientific at all. It's imbecilic. I mean, there's no science behind any of that. And yet everybody's like told to meekly submit. Coaches were fired from schools for not mandating masks to be worn outside. No science behind any of this, all conjecture, all based on the whims of one person, the governor. It's the reason we fought for probably more than a thousand years now against centralization of power. Because the thing is, is even if you agree with a lot of what I'm saying, you don't want me to dictate things. You don't want one person to be in charge of your decisions. We debate back and forth and not everybody's going to agree. You make your decisions. That's the kind of country we wanted. It's why they fought against the king. It's why they had the Magna Carta at Runnymede. It's why all that happened. Why we separated. It was all about centralization of power and checks and balances. So our state legislature is supposed to be a check and balance. But we have one defect, and we're going to correct it, hopefully in the next time we have an election in 2022, and that is, should the legislature be able to call themselves in a session? I'd say without question now that it's yes. Because the governor was in office for nine months, and they could do nothing. 
There was no law they could pass, no, no rebuke, nothing they could say, and he completely ignored them and did what he wanted. So they voted, and I think that's going to be on the ballot in 2022. Uh, can the state legislature call themselves back in session? I think it should be a yes because it's a check and balance to any governor. I don't care whether they're a Republican or a Democrat. I think Republicans will win next time. I really think we'll win the governorship. But I want the Republican governor to be limited in power. I want there to be checks and balances. It isn't about party. It's about power. So the state legislature came back in in January, and they passed a law that says their previous law that they passed in the 90s, which allowed the governor to have executive power, that after 30 days his orders would expire unless approved by the legislature. This seems to be to be eminently reasonable. It seems to be the check and balance that we need. The governor immediately sued in court and said that his powers are inherent. I think it's the divine right of governors or something he's referring to. He says he has power that's inherently his in times of public health crisis. But it's uncertain which way the Supreme Court will rule. This is maybe the most important Supreme Court ruling in Kentucky in our lifetime. They're going to rule over whether the state legislature can limit powers they gave him. In the 1990s, they gave the governor emergency powers, but these emergency powers were what most of us would think would be an emergency. A tornado comes through LaGrange, and you, the National Guard brings water and food and clothing and tents for a few days and helps you get back on your feet. We can all accept that. That's an emergency. But determining what time a restaurant closes, how many people can be in a restaurant, where you wear a mask, where you don't wear a mask, what kind of mask you wear, all of that stuff can be done by one person. This is going to be divided by the Supreme Court. Our legislature was clear. They overrode the veto. They passed it, overrode the veto. And that's going to be the question, though. Are they going to nullify our state legislature? I think it's a horrendous decision, most important decision. They've heard the arguments, and we're going to hear the results sometime in the next week or two. This, to me, is a really big deal from someone who believes that the separation of powers, the division of power, and the checks and balances are some of the most important things that make our country what Okay, let's get that off the screen. All right, so apparently on a very smaller level than what they're experiencing over in Michigan, they're going to be facing the same uh, type of question of whether or not the governor will be able to maintain those overreaching powers. Now, to get real quick into because you heard you talking about that. So, I mean, I... I needed that calm voice of reasoning on today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so that's why Ron, Rand Paul is there also. Very good discourse, though, speaking with his constituents there in the state of Kentucky. If you live in Kentucky, you're lucky. Okay, so let's take a real quick look at this bill. It's very short. This, again, is the bill that will prohibit the imposition of mask mandates on public transportation. So say the bill right here. Yep, yep. Oh, I can't draw a highlight on this thing. Boo. Okay, so uh, let's see here. It's real quick. It says, uh, be enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in uh, Congress assembled. Uh, this act may be cited as the Travel Mask Mandate Repeal Act of 2021. In general, notwithstanding any other provisions of law, no federal agency shall impose any federal requirement related to COVID-19 that an individual wear a mask when utilizing any conveyance as defined in Section 70.1 of Title 42 Code of Federal Regulations or any successor regulation or transportation hub, limitations on existing orders effective on the date enacted of this act, 
This order issued on January 29, 2021 by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention under Section 361 of the Public Health Service Act, establishing a requirement for persons to wear masks while on conveyance and at transportation hubs, as well as any other related order directive and emergency amended of the Transportation Security Administration shall have no force or effect. Meaning, ladies and gentlemen, that the TSA will no longer be able to require us to wear them on airplanes anymore either. So that, my friends, is some pretty good news. Now, hopefully they get this moved through uh, and signed into law as quick as they can. I mean, of course, there's going to be pushback. Now, this is the bill that Senator Rand Paul has introduced in the Senate um, other lawmakers are also moving in support of this. Uh, one a gentleman by the name of Andy Biggs, United States Representative of District 5 in Arizona, is going to be introducing a companion legislation for the United States House of, Re of Representatives later this week. Uh, this bill uh, that uh, Senator Paul was actually introduced today into the Senate for that to happen. But they do have support, of course. Um, we have uh, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. Uh, he is quoted to have said mask mandates have outlived their usefulness, yet they remain in effect uh, on flights and other modes of public transportation, adding that the mandate burdens families, particularly those who have disabled family members who are unable to wear masks. Um, and also Senator Mike Braun of Indiana, who also co-sponsored the bill, said it is far, far past time to end the federal government's contradictory one-size-fits-all COVID mandates, including the rule requiring masks on planes and public transportation. So now this is not the first time uh, they've, they've tried to remove this before. They tried to remove the mask mandate before, but it's been struck down. So hopefully with everything that's going, the way the, the, the world is turning, how the ball curves, uh, we'll see that this mandate is removed on paper. Because I know there's a whole bunch of us out there that are not wearing our masks, but public transportation, that's a whole nother ball game. And they're pretty draconian on the bus system here in San Antonio, Texas. Anyways, uh, that's the show for tonight, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the C-Report. Also, thank you to It Be Me Ange for good gifting the cookie. Thank you all for the uh, gold pill cookies. It be me, Ange. Tell me if I, if I pronounced your, your screen name right. Because <laughs> I've struggled with that name in the past. But I don't know why that just came to me today. All right, I'm going to go ahead and release the lotto ticket for tonight. And uh, that way you guys can have some happy scratching. And I thank you all again for tuning in as well as for the gold pill donations. Uh, we will be back tomorrow again. Same place, same time here at the Sea Report. Should be at 7.30. Um, I do have some family coming in tomorrow, but uh, I don't think that will change plans for the evening news report. But in the meantime, let's see here. Yay, I wanted to participate in my own scratch-off. Just bringing you guys some of that good old news, uh, since after all, yesterday was pretty, yesterday was pretty tough. Yesterday was pretty tough. Hey, did I win anything? Yay, I won for Google's. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging out. I appreciate you guys' time. And, uh, well, I will see you guys around the old Foxhole app or otherwise. Have a great evening, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow.